Okay, uh, we've been having some technical difficulties, but you won't know because I'll even cut that sentence out. Welcome to episode 13, I think, of Cinema Excelsior, the uh, podcast where we dissect, uh, which is an appropriate word for, for this film, uh, <laughs> the films of Marvel Comics, uh, an attempt to understand what makes them succeed or fail as adaptation, as film, and as art more broadly. Uh, we have an esteemed panel here with us today. From digital left to digital right, uh, Mr. Daniel Watson Jones, say hello again, Dooge. Hello again, Dooge. Today, Dooge will be playing the part of the savage She Hulk. Again, because he's an animal. Dooge Smash! More feminine. Dooge Smash! There you go. Uh, To his digital right is Mr. Derek Long. Google! Bands! Joke! Hulk smash. <laughs> Derek will be playing the part. Are we Derek all going to be playing be... different Hulks? Because that's what I want to hear. Uh, D- Derek is going to be playing the part of uh, Lyra, the daughter of the Hulk by Thundra, who is another She-Hulk. Yes, Th- the Th- savage Thundra, She-Hulk. by the way. All right. Thundra, by the way, belongs to a race of women called Themazons. Think <laughs> of that what you will. Uh, just, just for the record... She-Hulk for people who don't cousin, know what right? Amazons are. Well, Je- yeah, Jennifer Walters is okay. Hulk's cousin. Yeah. All right, so not Jessica Walters. Not, not that She-Hulk. Okay. Right. Um, there are several <laughs> She-Hulks. Uh, yeah, t- t- so many Hulks, t- so little to, time. To Derek's digital right is Lillian DeRitter. Lillian Hi, will be playing... Sorry, say that again. Hi, friends. Lillian will be playing the part of the sensational She-Hulk because she'll Woo! be break- she'll be breaking the fourth wall today. Love it. I'm sensational. Banging Juggernaut, right? Is that the one she's not supposed to have banged? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck Austin. Um, to her digital right is Mr. Nick Bester. Ah, Red She-Hulk. Nick Vester will be playing the part of single female lawyer She-Hulk. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take because, it. Because he wants to have it all. It's true, I do. <laughs> Just trying to make his way. And I'm Stephen Claypool. I'll be playing the part of Red She-Hulk you because it's not, it's not easy being green. <laughs> This is the Yes All Women edition of the well, podcast. It's, it's, the, it's the Yes All She-Hulk. Yes All She-Hulk. <laughs> yes All She-Hulk. Now I'm just a simple backwoods space chicken. <laughs> so yes, today's film is Hulk, uh, directed by Ang Lee, uh, starring Eric Bana, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Nick Nolte. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And Sam Elliott's weird mustache. Sam Elliott, his weird mustache, and Josh Lucas. Yes, Um, Josh Lucas. I did not, and I don't know if any of you did, but I did not prepare a a summary of this film. Does anyone want to try to improv a summary real quick, or shall we move along to the trivia? How about any summary that someone prepared for this needs to be read six times in a row? 
because every scene in this movie was given. Every it, all the information given in any one scene was repeated in the next five subsequent scenes. Yeah, it's it's, it's like seven different movies in one, and all of them aren't talking to each other. Yeah. It's it's yes. like the, There's a lot of things I, happening. Here, I will summarize this movie. I would summarize this movie, but I can't because it's too dangerous to tell you for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll 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 get into this as as we go along, but before we dive into uh, into the film itself, right, let's see. fish torture a, a little bit of a little bit of history, a little bit of history. So ma- make your notes on fish torture now. Okay. Well, no, uh, I was just trying. Ki- I was just trying to figure out like wh- how I would summarize it. I would definitely start with fish well, torture. Do, do you want Do you want to give it a shot? Yes, I want to hear Nick's summary. Fuck. Yes. Okay. Let's, do this. let's see. All right. So the movie starts with David Banner, uh, Bruce Banner's father, uh, and everyone calls him Bruce Banner, even though that's not what his name is in this movie. Uh, torturing various sea animals. There's shots of him uh, torturing a starfish, uh, a jellyfish. And at one point, there's a shot of him, uh, like, very strenuously grasping a sea cucumber, which somehow is not a euphemism. Uh, and he's taking all of these ridiculous notes, uh, including, uh, regeneration is immortality. And this is all happening over the credits, which have, like, not quite Comic Sans, but very much a comic font. Uh, and a lot of... They couldn't afford Comic Sans. No. And then a lot of very vague, uh, green and purple CGI, because CGI equals, uh, science in this movie. Uh, and David Banner is trying to figure out, essentially, how to make super soldiers, because that's essentially what everyone in the Marvel Universe is constantly trying to do. Um... I got... Hmm? Go ahead, go ahead, all. Bring it around at the end. Uh, and he's batting heads with uh, Sam Elliott's character, uh, General Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, who's Thaddeus Thunderbolt. Thaddeus. Thank you. Excuse me. Uh, I've forgotten <laughs> what his first name was. Uh, who? And this is all happening in like 1950s in a uh, Nevada <clears throat> Nevada nuclear testing uh, army base. Uh, and so David Banner starts testing this uh, his uh, regeneration formula on himself. Uh, and he inadvertently passes on whatever he's done to himself onto his child, Bruce. Uh, then he goes fucking crazy for weird reasons and decides to blow up the base with gamma radiation. Uh, and then goes home to murder his child. Uh, and we don't exactly know what happens uh, in the scene at first. We just see... Well, it's too da- it's too dangerous. You, you yeah. can't know, Nick. You can't know, exactly. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I mean, it's not clear baby, at all he's gone home to mar- murder and his baby child Bruce, until, like, the end of the movie. Like, that's the climax, yeah. isn't it? That reveal? Yeah. Sort of? Ba- yeah. Ba- and baby Bruce... Room, by the way. And you see baby <laughs> Bruce various times. He's got, like, weird green patches. Uh, so it just kind of looks like he's bruised. Uh, and he's constantly staring at lichen. Probably about 5% of this movie is people staring longingly at Lycan. It's really fucking weird. Including Eric uh, Bana. If you're classifying Eric Bana at Lycan. 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 Like various, oh. like, rock moss. Okay. I, th- I thought uh, you were saying Lyca as in the Russian dog. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that at all. There were a lot of dogs, though. Yes, yes there were. One would, one might say, too many dogs. <laughs> there were a lot of dogs. We will get to the dogs. So after something terrible happens, but we cut cut forward. Obviously, there's been a horrible trauma in Bruce's life. He's taken in uh, by Celia Watson, uh, Weston, excuse me, uh, who is his stepmother, and I forget what his. 
uh, adopted name is. Somebody else might remember. Krenzler. Krenzler. Uh, and he's gone into literally the exact same field of science as his father, just by coincidence. Uh, and he and a guy from Breaking Bad and Jennifer Connelly are, uh, have gone into the torturing aquatic animals uh, field and are shooting frogs with gamma radiation. Somebody has to that cut open the frog lot. first so that you can see if the gamma radiation will regenerate it, but it just ends up blowing up the frog. To be fair, uh, it does regenerate it and then blow it up. Yes, I it just works. Turn off the valve in time. <laughs> yeah, it works. It works for a moment. Uh, there's a fuck ton frog. of split screens happening all the fucking time. We will talk mm-hmm, about yeah, that quite a bit. True. Uh, and uh, they do forget about them occasionally, though. They do occasionally forget about them, but they remember them far too often. <laughs> um, and at the same time, Nick Nolte is a very creepy janitor who started working in the lab where Jennifer Connelly and Eric Bana are doing He's their playing. research. He's playing a very creepy janitor. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I mean, he I works would, as a janitor there. I, I believe he did actually get that job. True. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Nick Nolte. Oh, yes. I see what you mean. Um, at, at and... the same time, Nick Nolte is this probably is... always being a creepy janitor, even now. <laughs> this, this, by the way, is... Nick, who's that behind you? The... This summary is not any less coherent than the film. Itself. No, this is me trying to remember what all happens. Okay, you so did a pretty good job. Uh, Jennifer Connelly is uh, General Ross's daughter, Betsy Ross. Betty Ross. Betsy. Betty, <laughs> yes, it's Betty Ross. Betsy She's playing the historical Betsy Ross. They've taken yeah. some liberties. Um, and Josh Lucas is like a, a military industrial complex guy who's trying to horn in on their research because he sees the military applications of it. But He works for Atheon. Atheon, yes. Something very <laughs> ominous sounding. Uh, and being a movie scientist, uh, Eric Bana does not want to sell out to the uh, government. Uh, but the government's also pretty interested in this because uh, General Ross knows who uh, Bruce is and is skeptical as shit of all of this. He thinks that he and his father are in cahoots because his father is effectively a terrorist. Uh, and then, as one might expect, there's a horrible accident involving gamma, radi- g- gamma radiation. The uh, guy from Breaking Bad is going to get blasted with gamma radiation. So he, Bruce he actually throws- gets, so ha- he gets mm-hmm. hit with gamma radiation so hard that he falls out of the film. Yes, he does. <laughs> this is true. He is never seen again. He, Despite having not been injured. Yes. He is ostensibly not killed in this blast, but you never see him again. Uh, and the mutation that he's that Bruce has gotten from his father, David, apparently allows him to survive uh, a humongous burst of gamma radiation, and he's totally fine. His good knee, his bad knee is now his good knee. Uh, as he tells so his, them. his old good knee is now a shitty knee, so he's just been mirrored. Yeah. <laughs> um, and let's see, what happens next? Uh, Daniel Day goes, Kim is there for a minute. Hmm? Someone Daniel help Day me Kim out. is in it for a second. Oh yes, Daniel Day Kim shows up. He's like uh, so, General Ross's uh, partner. Um, what what, what, what happens Nolte, next? Like, get... What happens next is, you know... He does become the Hulk. Yeah, but is that the, is that? But wait, no, but, but Nick Nolte. But I'm trying to remember to which first. time he becomes the Hulk. Is this the time when he becomes the Hulk with Josh Lucas, or is that a second time that he becomes the Hulk? That's the second. That's time. the second time. First time is at the lab. Is with his upset dad creepily watching him from the doorway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but doesn't his dad like creep on him first, yes. and he like says a bunch of really cryptic things? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Nick Nolte looks like yeah, he's, so he's, a, he's he in his hospital destroys, bed. He destroys a hundred million dollars worth of Berkeley <laughs> bio physics yes. equipment. So yeah, yeah. he's in the bio he's in the hospital that's like for some that? He's in the hospital that for some reason is in the lab that he works at, and his dad comes to visit him and is all super creepy and I'm your father. Uh, and he's like, No, it can't be true. And then he hulks out and destroys the lab. And Josh Lucas is fucking mad as shit about this because you just uh, trashed all this stuff that was really, really valuable. So he comes over to... But that ha- it has nothing to do with him. Like, it's not clear at all who these people are that keep coming into the lab and threatening to take well, over. Well, no, Josh Lucas is going to buy them, yeah, right? Yeah. Like yeah. He, he's, yeah, money's he's, on the line he here, He Jennifer Connelly and the technology. Okay. His, his plan is to either hire them and fund mm-hmm. them for their technology or to conduct a hostile takeover... Of a school? Yeah. Yeah. He just comes in and threatens them with money. Some universities these days, that actually happens. (laughs) University of California is. uh... Alright, so while he's trashing it, he. uh, Trashing the lab, he does come across his dad, and they have, like, a weird sort of tender moment. Uh, And. I think after that, uh, General Ross comes to see him because he thinks that he's in cahoots with his father, which is a totally reasonable assumption to make because he's just trashed this government lab where his father works. Uh, <laughs> although I don't... Don't ask how his dad got out. Don't ask. He just don't did. Ask. After no, a while, after he blew up a new... Did Elliot specifically let him out? Doesn't he say that? I'm the reason that he's out? Yeah, but why Why would you let him? He, he blew up a military base with gamma radiation. We don't yeah, let those says... people out. Uh, well, I think Nick Nolte says at some point, like, they found out I wasn't lying because like, ap- apparently he was put away for, they thought he was crazy, uh, but th- now they know he's not crazy, so they where, let him yeah, out. Yeah, where were, the, where so were they going to deliberately <laughs> go crazy and find his son for them or something. But if you're not crazy, don't you have to stay in trial then? I'm yeah. confused the about the justice system. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. The, the, it, none of it makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, so General Ross comes to see Bruce after he's trashed the lab. And is like, I know you're your father's son. You're doing this. You must remember that traumatic thing you don't remember that happened as a kid. <laughs> and Bruce does not remember the traumatic thing that he doesn't remember. But and no uh, one will tell him. No one will tell him what it was. He's like, please tell me what when happened. And Ross is like, when? maybe you don't remember. Thus, I won't tell you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very strange scene. And then, then Jennifer Connelly goes to visit Nick Nolte. And yes. He accuses her of knowing something that she doesn't know. Incidentally, Jennifer uh, Connelly so is in this he movie. He won't tell her because she <laughs> doesn't a, know. Yep. There's a lot of people accusing each other of knowing things they don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think that takes her start. Josh Lucas God damn it, I'm trying to stay on track here. Josh Lucas Sorry. shows up later that day and is similarly mad about the uh, lab being th- uh, uh, blown up, destroyed. And he starts punching Bruce, and Bruce gets angry. And you wouldn't like him when he's angry. Uh, and nope. his pants rip in such a way that he's wearing short shorts. There, you get you get a lot of ass shots of the Hulk throughout this movie. This is something I noticed. They're very breezy short shorts. So uh, the Hulk likes short shorts. Um, and yes, as Dude was saying, Jennifer Connelly has visited Nick Nolte, uh, and Nick Nolte, in a very very creepily, like leans into her and steals her scarf, and she doesn't notice this. Uh, and then he takes the scarf and gives it to his three dogs. He's got a standard poodle. Uh, like a bulldog and, I don't know, some other kind of dog. Uh, and he blasts them with gamma radiation and they become Hulk dogs! And it's the dumbest fucking thing that's ever happened. Um, I prefer Hulk hounds. It's alliterative. <laughs> fair enough. Um, 
And so uh, the Hulk is hulked out from uh, fighting Josh Lucas, and he leaps out to uh, Betty Ross's cabin in the woods, which she has for some reason. Yeah, just a uh, cabin and like you do. He is approximately 20 feet tall in this movie, or at least in this scene. <laughs> yes. Like, he shows up, and he is a good three to four times taller than Jennifer Connelly. He's King Kong. But he's, he's also yeah. sensitive Hulk. He's yes, not he's just very Hulk so, smashing. He, he's he, protected. He looks yes. really he's sad, and she immediately recognizes who it is, despite it being a 20-foot-tall green giant. Uh, and then, then some fucking Hulk dogs attack, uh, and they start fighting. Uh, and there's a lot of leaping around in trees during this scene, because yes. this is Ang Lee. And at some point during the process, either Ang Lee said to himself, okay, they've hired me, they want me to do the tree jumping, or more likely someone someone who hired him went, where the fuck is the tree jumping? We hired you, Ang Lee. You're giving us fucking tree jumping. Uh, and he kills all of the Hulk dogs, and when the Hulk dogs die, they turn into a, a, a green mist. There's no there's no dog bodies in this movie, so you got that to work, uh, deal with. Um, and then fucking something else for, happens. For- Oh, um, more than Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or is it just that one? I think that's the, well. I mean, there's a lot of leaping across the uh, southwestern uh, countryside, not countryside, uh, desert. But um, so then, what happens is Hulk has gotten some of Bruce's blood, I think, and he's spraying himself with gamma radiation. And he turns into Absorbing Man, or as I prefer to think of him, more like Mondo. And he just starts being able to like meld into metal and crap uh, for reasons. There's really no explanation as to why uh, gamma radiation and Hulk's blood Mm. makes him have these powers. Um, And what the fuck happens next? Oh, um, Hulk... This is when Betty, it's revealed that, you know, like, Betty essentially um, is turning him over to the the military, right? Well, doesn't he first have to get out to the military base? He goes out to the military... Yes, okay. He opens the door, I, and there's a trank dart, and they take God him out it. there. And he gets it's been like a week and a half since I watched this movie, and it's weird as shit. Okay. So, yes, he gets trank darted and taken out to the military base that was blown up by David Banner. But it's, you know, super high-tech and looks a lot like the military base from X2 uh, underneath. I was going to say from Austin Powers, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that too. It looks it looks a lot like Austin. generic high-tech under, underground supervillain base. And they put him in that, like, Luke Skywalker water suspension thing to try and justify why he's wearing shorts. Back to tank. Yes. They're looking for back to tank. Yes. Yeah. This is true. They do. They put him in a giant... <laughs> you are entirely right. So, uh, Josh Lucas is there. He's got a neck brace, and he just starts fucking uh, cattle prodding uh, Bruce Banner. Uh, and everyone insists on calling him Banner the entire movie, as I've already said, even though his name is fucking Krenzler. Not uh, his name. <laughs> it's not his fucking name. He's never identified as Bruce Banner. Uh, so he's hitting him with a cattle prod, trying to make him uh, turn into the Hulk for stupid reasons. Like, he, for some reason, thinks this is necessary. Uh, and Eric Banner is able to keep his shit together long enough. So they knock him out, and they put him in a giant, uh, giant water tank, and are, like, shocking him in there. Uh, and shockingly, no pun intended, this doesn't work. Uh, he, he starts hulking out, and because the Hulk's size is entirely indeterminate in this movie, he just grows big enough to, uh, to destroy the tank. Uh, and he starts going on a rampage, uh, in, uh, the military base. And Josh Lucas is very, very insistent that we cannot kill the Hulk because I need samples of him, which makes no sense. 
There's nothing about him that you need a living sample for. You just want to figure out, like, the chemistry of his blood. Anyway, so they start spraying him with, like, foam... That, like, quick-harding cement foam that, like, keeps him in a uh, tunnel. But then he just hulks out more, which means he grows bigger. Uh, and at this point, Josh Lucas is like, fuck it, I guess I will kill him. And he shoots a, uh, like, a gr- grenade launcher at uh, the Hulk. It just fucking bounces right off his pecs. And hits the wall behind Josh Lucas, blowing up. And this is really the only time when all the comic book-style crap that's happening in this movie is in any way worth it. Because there's an amazing shot of Josh Lucas blowing up, and then he's, like, surrounded by a white outline, and then it, like, pans over to a bunch of security cameras. It's the only time the split screens really work, in my opinion. Uh, Hulk gets out of the military base. Uh, He starts punching tanks all the fucking time. Uh, And the movie makes a very careful... uh, makes it very careful to show that no military men are ever killed in any of these. Nope. They're always no they're one. always totally fine. A tank gets thrown like a hundred miles. It's fine. Uh, and then he just well, is leaping them to get all the dudes out of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just waste it. Yeah. Then he's like leaping across the southwest uh, for reasons. He's still really angry the entire time he's doing this because he's still the Hulk. Um, and he fights a bunch of helicopters and wins. And eventually he leaps so far that he ends up in uh, San Francisco. San Francisco. For reasons. Uh, And he, you know, wrecks up a bunch of San Francisco until eventually the the cops and the the military all surround him. And Betty shows up and he unhulks. Uh, And then he and David Banner essentially agree to be executed, I guess, by a, a weird electricity device. So they're like, they've like set up this station where they're just going to electrocute the two of them. Uh, and, but they allow David Banner a whole lot of time to pontificate and speechify before he's executed, and then he bites the electricity and turns into a giant electrical monster, which is a thing that he can do. Uh, and, and he, he can and, carry things as that electrical monster, if I recall. <laughs> yes. So he and Hulk fight as the electrical monster, and but he also has like absorbing power, so he's like trying to absorb the Hulk. Hulkness of the Hulk, like he's trying to take his powers in a weird way that doesn't make sense, and they end up in the middle he's of taking his gamma radiation. Yes, he's taking his gamma radiation. He's taking his mojo to go back to Austin Powers. <laughs> he's Pretty taking much. his mojo, uh, and they end up somehow or Isn't another mojo out a in the middle of the, of the lake X-Man universe, and they get yeah. nuked. Okay, uh, and the Hulk is like, "Take my powers!" and David Benner, like, "Yeah, sure." But he totally regrets it because the powers are <laughs> way too much for him to fucking handle. And he goes, no, take it back! Well, it's a giant fucking green storm <laughs> of uh, gamma radiation. Then they get nuked, uh, and then you cut to later, and Betty and uh, Thaddeus are on the phone. And it's like, oh, well, there's no way he could have survived. But if he would have survived, I wouldn't tell you, Dad. He's the last person I should contact. Comments uh, about secrets. Yes. And then we find out that... Uh, Bruce Banner is now living in the Spanish-speaking language, uh, Spanish-language-speaking <laughs> jungle somewhere. I'm not sure if it specifies what country, but a bunch of warlords yeah. come in and try and steal his medicine, uh, and then he says in Spanish, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Oh, and he has a beard now. And and after <laughs> two hours and 20 minutes, the film mercifully ends. I think I got everything. Was there any major you things? Did. Left? We, you did. You left yeah. out the weird subplot with 
Thunderbolt and Betty where they keep having like crossing the line dinners and oh, yes. stuff like that where he's yeah. like you can't date Bruce because there... his dad's bad. Yes. There are a lot of problems or... with uh, violating the 180 degree rule in this yeah, film. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of weird editing and contiguity weirdness that we will talk about more. It's weird. I don't think you mentioned or, uh, did you mention that at some point they find out that she was on the same base that he was on as a kid randomly? You left out everything about his childhood trauma. Yes, all of the dreams that they had. Yeah. There were like three oh, yeah, yeah. dream sequences. The childhood yeah, trauma that's that revealed is her. that um, like it's implied early on that perhaps he hulks out in the room with his mom. That seems to be oh, what it's kind mm, of implied, but he that. doesn't. Uh, but he runs out uh, with a knife and he's trying to kill Bruce because he thinks that's the only way. Uh, and there's a struggle with his mom and David accidentally stabs uh, the mother to death, as happens. Uh, and obviously, as like a four-year-old, he blocks out watching his mother be murdered by his uh, by his dad. And then uh, Sam Elliott yells at him for it later. Yeah, he was yeah. like, "How do you not remember?" That? <laughs> yeah, I thought that the movie was implying the whole time that he had deliberately murdered the mother back in the room, and then the reveal was that he was actually trying to murder the kid. But he did yes. love it. Yes, although I, I felt like I felt like there was some implication that he may have been hulking out in the back there because there definitely seems to be yeah I guess like, now that you Hulk kind it. of sound effects happening uh, yeah. like he gets oh. really really angry and like oh there was a lot of well rage. And, and not 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 to get like too deep into it yet because this is for later in the conversation but the Hulk as presented in the film is you know, the embodiment of that childhood trauma and the idea that. <laughs> He, in Bruce's mind anyway, and then in realization, would take on aspects of that event, and those sounds and those two would become associated. Is That's pretty, deep, man. Pretty much on the page. Mm-hmm. That's deep. Uh, yeah. So before before we uh, before we go on, just a couple of, uh, of historical notes about the background on the film, and really uh, what kind of disaster we're getting into here. Um, oh, God. Hulk as a character created in 1962 by uh, I'll, I'll give you three guesses as to who created the Hulk. Uh, Bill Finger, <laughs> Bob Kane, uh, Bob Kane, Bob would Dole. Say he did. <laughs> uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby. Who knew? What? Who knew? what? Never. Yeah. Never. They never invented any Marvel characters. What are you talking about? <laughs> Media uh, Hulk's media history had a long history in television, starting with an old Marvel cartoon show which had an incredible uh, theme song, which I will dub in here when we're playing it. And I'll sing it now. It goes, Dr. Bruce Banner, blasted by Gamma Race, turns into the Hulk. <laughs> wow. I miss the days when theme songs just explained the plot. You know, the, oh, you the, the premise in the show. It, the theme song explained it. Wouldn't, that, been, yeah. wouldn't that not have been amazing if there had been a theme song like that for Breaking Bad? Like, just a song explaining the plot. Like, he's a he's got cancer, he and he's a chemistry teacher. He's making meth. And it makes it sense. I really now. like how three or four of us all tried to sing a song at the same time entirely and not in sync it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the most famous of Hulk's pop culture appearances before this was, of course, the late 70s, early 80s TV show starring Bill Bixby and Luke for, uh, Lou Ferrigno. Mm-hmm. And what was, what was interesting about this as an adaptation 
is it completely stripped away every comic book aspect of the character, except for the fact that he was a guy who turned into a green monster. Except for that thing. Um, well, but there were there were no supervillains. There were no you know yeah. even continuing arcs. It was, it was very much a standard TV formula, genre mm-hmm. friendly formula at the time, and it worked in the context mm-hmm. of what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. It was extremely popular. Five seasons on TV, and and uh, so- and it ran in a block. Um, I I think on ABC uh, with uh, Wonder Woman, um, and oh. so actually Wonder in nineteen se- in nineteen seventy eight. Um, an episode of Wonder Woman and an episode of The Incredible Hulk were both preempted by the Star Wars Holiday Special. Ah! <laughs> Amazing. I thought you were going to say, like, some special news reports or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah somebody would have assassinated. The first, yeah, the first thing that popped into my head was the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute. That's not the right. Yeah, I was like, what? who was assassinated in 1978? Because I just assumed yeah. Did did any of you guys ever watch Mad TV and see the uh, the Pocket Hulk uh, sketch where I think no, it was think Will Sasso plays uh, Pocket Hulk, who's a a normal kind of big guy, but then when he gets angry, he turns into this like three and a half foot tall green guy who can't do anything. It's just really <laughs> pathetic and sad, and and is just run over by villains all the time. Like an old lady's purse is getting stolen, and then he turns into Pocket Hulk, and then. He can't stop the people, and the old lady gets mad and starts beating him up. It was it was worth a laugh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for and telling us worked. about it. Yes. So the series ran for five years, spawned three television films, and the last one uh, aired in 1990. It was called The Death of the Incredible Hulk. Spoiler. Um, when that was done, the talk turned to a live-action film. So we got into this fun dance in the world of development hell where Universal Pictures was trying to set up this film for about a decade. Uh, The first version of the film, uh, Hulk was going to battle terrorists, as you do. Mm In 1997, Joe Johnson signed to direct the film, Mm. and he was on the project for about four months before he decided to bail out. (laughs) Uh, there was one draft of the script where the Hulk was going to fight prison convict or convicts that he had through prison experimentation turned into insect men. <laughs> okay. Yep. Okay. okay. I think that insect might have worked. Insect prisoners. I got you. I'm yep. with you. And then Stop in, uh, in, ni- in 1998, the whole damn thing got put into turnaround. Wait. So they when spent... was the Hulk on trial made? Uh, that was like eighty seven, eighty eight. Okay. Was that the second or the first of second. the? Okay. That's the second. And that one's okay. got Daredevil in it. That one's got Daredevil. Yeah. Why didn't? Why hasn't this come up yet? Why haven't you mentioned the Hulk on trial? Sorry. <laughs> What's he on trial for? Are you the Hulk? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Banner pleads the fifth. Yeah. Please, please don't badger the witness. Please, please don't. <laughs> Permission to shoot the witness is hostile. Badger him. Um, so the film gets put into turnaround. Several different writers take a stab at it. Dave Hader writes a draft. Michael France writes a draft. Um, and no one really cracks it until Ang Lee steps in. Oh, God. Uh, the, the important thing to understand about Ang Lee at this point is Ang Lee was hot. 
at this moment. Like, he had made Crouching Tiger. Everyone loved it. It was a big hit. Uh, he, he, Ang Lee would never have this kind of clout in Hollywood again. Even today, he would not have this kind of clout or freedom. And he decided to spend it making Hulk. <clears throat> he wanted to do a sort of classic monster movie story and to explore the inner drama of the characters, and that was a version that sold to uh, to the studio based on his pedigree. Couple, uh, Three final quick-hit pieces of trivia before we really dive deep into the discussion. One, uh, the actor who was almost cast as the Hulk, Edward Norton, who would play the character <laughs> five years later. All right. Two, uh, the film holds the world record for the largest second week box office drop in history for a film that opened at number one. Uh, it, its revenues dropped 70% from week one to week two. And all of the Hulk's motion capture in this film, when they were mapping the CGI Hulk, all of the motion capture was done by Ang Lee himself. <laughs> so Ang Lee, Ang Lee played the Hulk. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Wow. Maybe that's mm -hmm. why he looks so sensitive and not actually angry. Barely at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I never... Maybe that's as good a place to start as any when we talk about the uh, some of the tonal problems when this, in this <laughs> film. At no point did I believe the Hulk was angry. <laughs> no, that's because he wasn't. He was always like, very controlled. Well, there's Which like two, no like the first two times he hulks out, you're like, okay, he's mad at, yeah. he's mad mm -hmm. about his dad, he's mad at Josh Lucas because he's getting beaten up. But mm -hmm. at some point, when you're leaping majestically across Arizona, you gotta probably calm mm -hmm. down a little bit. Yeah, you gotta yeah. like take the beauty in and really uh -huh. just be like, you know what, this is nice. But this is really I think part, nice. Part of it is, uh, you know, like I, one way to put it, Stefan, is that the the Hulk never feels angry. I think another is that he never feels threatening. I mean, there's yeah. there are definitely sure. like emotions there, and I think that's very much Ang Lee's approach to the material. But it seems like, in terms of narrative threat or narrative consequence, I mean, as we mentioned in the summary, like the Hulk doesn't really like threaten anyone in the film. You know, there's there's not a sense of danger surrounding his hulking out. Mm -hmm. So I think Josh like, Lucas is the only face? person he kills. Yeah, I think it could yeah, be. Jo Josh Lucas and, and Nick Nolte and the mother are the only three people to actually die in the film. And those Hulk and dogs. he doesn't mm -hmm. kill Josh Lucas. Josh yeah. Lucas kills himself. And, you know, yeah. it's not like yeah. there needs to be a high body count for this, for this film to work, but <clears throat> there does need to be some sense that... Him turning into the Hulk is a bad thing. Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah. You know, so... Yeah. Well, the first, the first thing he does as the Hulk is go crazy and destroy his own lab. And the second yeah. thing he does as the Hulk is be calmed down by the sight of his father, who he kind of knows is his father at that point, and, and then look sensitively at him before getting angry and running away. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I, I, I mean, my understanding of the Hulk as a creature is that, as they put it in the Avengers, he's a mindless green rage monster, right? Yeah. I mean, like, if you, yeah. want, if you want the Hulk to destroy something, you just make him mad, and then you, you point him at the thing. And, and, yeah, and that, that's it. Like, not not to to leap ahead, but in in the Ed Norton film, the terminology that they use for controlling the Hulk is: you don't control the Hulk, you point the uh -huh. Hulk. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I think um, 
you know, n- normally we, we would do initial thoughts for the film, but we are more than 30 minutes into this recording and we've all, we've all kind of laid out like some baseline for it. So let's just like, uh, m- maybe it would be worthwhile to dive into, um, an actual discussion of, um, some of the component pieces of what this film is. Well, I think, uh, I think the, I think the obvious place to start, at least for me, is talking about the split screen and the editing, because I think that's something that all of us noticed, at least mm. to some extent, yeah. uh, and I think yeah. all noticed in a negative way. Um, mm-hmm. Angley uh, is very aggressive in making you know that this is a comic book movie, because uh, there are constant, incredibly superfluous, incredibly uh, obnoxious split screens all the goddamn time like when they're doing the experiment on the frog early on I think there are points where there are probably about four different split screens all like melding into each other not really giving you any information uh, and oftentimes it, it actively makes it harder to even understand what's happening like during the during the first time he hulks out and he's uh, like destroying his lab at some point he hits a uh, like a big tank of pressurized gas and it starts like uh, knocking around the uh, around uh, the lab, and this is done through a series of like three or four very uh, quickly edited together split screens. So you just sort of see a tank, and it moves, and it moves, and it crashes, and it moves, and it moves, and it crashes, and you have no fucking clue what the hell is happening right now. I did. I didn't have that same feeling. I, n- I never felt like it was interfering with my ability to understand what was going on. And for probably the first twenty minutes of the film, I actually liked it. But I was presuming that they were going to be doing it consistently for the rest of the film, so I would always yeah. get the feeling that I was looking at a motion comic book page. But mm-hmm. there, it was definitely superfluous. I think I... Mm-hmm. I mean, this could have been five minutes into the film, for all I know. But the, there was a scene where they were... You know, I think Jennifer Connelly and one other person, probably Eric Bana, were walking into a building, and that it was just multiple views of her walking. Where I yes. thought, okay, this is really unnecessary at this point and that's when i started to to get mm-hmm. bothered by it but right at the beginning i felt like it was probably it was good and it was at least something that i had never seen before but that was also before uh i was incredibly tired of the movie as a whole about a half an hour into it when so many of the scenes were literally just a character saying to another character I cannot explain this to you or won't. And along those yes. lines, I mean, I think to to the film and to Lee's credit, um, you know, I don't think we've really seen a film so far in this podcast series that that really makes as much of an attempt <laughs> as this film does to actually use kind of film form, I, I guess, you know, like partially to evoke um, this sort of comic book aesthetic, mm-hmm. but, you know, also to try and use it in in narrative ways i mean i think i think it's maybe a little bit unfair to just say it's it's like a trapping it's like a stylistic trapping that's placed on top of the narrative of the film i i think at at some points it is used very effectively um the one i'm thinking about in, in particular is um there's a point where as um Bruce uh, has been hit with a tranquilizer dart and, um, you know, he's kind of passing out and in sort of preparation for the move to the military base. There's actually, I think, a really nice kind of blackout effect where 
the the background starts to kind of turn into a pool of blackness, almost like you might see in like a film noir, um, mm-hmm. something like Murder My Sweet. Um, and as it, darkness washes over the as dude, doc- yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, and it kind of converges until the only thing that's actually lit in the frame is his face, and then finally his face um, fades out. Um, I, th- I mean, so like there are definitely moments where. I, I really think it's it's kind of a cool um, stylistic mm-hmm. effect, and and it works. The problem is it's kind of a shotgun approach here. I mean, almost every single transition is you know an incredibly sort of stylized post production effect, such that I started to notice normal cuts, and you know like it was sort <laughs> yeah. of like oh we just yeah. cut there. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, it, when, and so when that become when the kind of stylization becomes the background rather than the focal point, um, really that's a sign that you're, you're using it too much. And, and whatever kind of narrative or emotional or just aesthetic effect it might have really starts to wear off if you're watching it for two and a half straight hours. Yes. Oh, and the other, and the I other think, thing that, that's true. that really weirded right. me out is like, in <clears throat> where you don't see it is in like most of the most of the action scenes. Like you don't see um, any kind of this, you know, awesome stylization in those particular scenes where it seems yeah. to be the most appropriate to use. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. There's I, these. I think that one one way to to sort of think about that, and you, Derek, I think you hit on this, and Nick, I think you also hit on this is the idea of, you know, when is this appropriate to use? When is it effective use versus when it's when is it overkill? It was clearly a very conscious attempt by Ang Lee to replicate the look of a comic book or what he considered to be, you know, an appropriate visualization of a comic book. But if mm-hmm. we think about comic book structure and comic panel structure, specifically mm-hmm. in the way that Will Eisner would describe it as sequential art, mm. You can tell when a comic is well-structured and its panels are well-structured and well-laid out when it is fairly obvious to you how you move visually from one panel to the next. There is a progression that's happening. You can see panels simultaneously, but the story is unfolding across them. And a well-made comic will guide you through those panels in such a way as you are getting the story told to you in a way that maximizes the impact. I think that the problem with this technique in film is when you put three different things happening at the same time or four or five different things Mm -hmm. happening at the same time on a screen in different split screens, you don't have an idea where your vision is supposed to be guided, Mm -hmm. which of these is supposed to be important. You're not getting that that idea of moving from piece to piece and being told that story. So what he's trying to do is replicate that feel of what a comic book experience is, but the fundamental experience of sequential art in a comic book does not translate well to a film, to a medium where things already move, Mm -hmm. because the point of a panel is the images can't move. Right. And yeah. and we as viewers haven't been trained to read films that way, right? Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, there's it, it would be one thing if um, 
you know, I mean, the film just keeps moving, right? I mean, if you're sitting in a yeah. theater, you can't rewind. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I mean, the very, you know, what we, you know, see as art in comic books in some ways depends on our ability to actually contemplate an image for a particular amount of time. And, you know, film, it's 24 frames a sec. Like, you, you just, you keep moving. And I think there's a way to kind of reconcile that. And Ang Lee went a little bit too far, I think, in the direction of trying to imitate um, visual style and kind of fit it to the continuous time element of, uh, of filmmaking. And that's really where it, got, where it got complicated. You know, I don't think there was anything, vi- you know, just in, in theory at least, the visual aspect of things wasn't what bothered me. It was, it was the time element. The fact that I couldn't go back or I, I didn't really have enough time or enough kind of visual acuity or training to actually see what kind of aesthetic effect um, the filmmaker was actually going for in these various transitions. Well, mm-hmm. I got the impression that, at least at the beginning, like with, with the opening credit sequence, the, the kind of purple and green blurs, to me, were... You were seeing shots of what looked to me like the universe and then cells. It was macrocosm, microcosm. And I think there were multiple shots early on of uh, you were looking at a large-scale picture and then zooming in to uh, a very small scale uh, that was supposed to be writ large. So you were seeing how larger things were the same as smaller things and the, the patterns of the small were replicated on the large scale, which, you know, plays out in... Uh, uh, the the events that take place before Bruce Banner's you know adulthood being replicated mm-hmm. in his adulthood, uh, you know this Krenzler. one event the, the, being replicated. Yes, in Krenzler's adulthood, uh, the the uh, anger happening again and again because it had never been resolved. Uh, and uh, oh, go ahead. What? I, I was. I, Lillian was trying to. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Lillian. Yeah, I'm just because the big thing is the difference between comics and film. At least to me, is partly about the <sighs> borders. <laughs> it's what's between the panels, mm-hmm. and the the problem with trying to translate a I don't know if 2D medium is the right word, but a a on the page medium to a motion medium mm-hmm. is that the reason that you're able to read comic books the way you are is the illusion of motion happens in between panels mm-hmm. and in your mind and in your mind so, and that's the thing is that film i mean film is technically about that but the you know the cognitive science of it is we have trained ourselves now that when you see 24 frames per second you are seeing the full the full complement of motion that you would possibly see so when you start to use a style that's about the difference in panels into a 24 frame per second format, and actually, my brain started to hurt. Yeah. I got a headache. And actually, <laughs> okay. I feel like I feel I like mean, there there is a way in which Lee might have analogized that for film. I mean, and and it's mm-hmm. called editing, right? I mean, our brain <laughs> yeah. our brain fills in the gaps between scenes all the time, right? I mean, we don't see our hero driving to work. Um, and so, I mean, you know, that, that's kind of a, a prosaic example. But, you know, our, our brain fills in the gaps all the time when we watch film, too. It's just that that wasn't the strategy here. The strategy here was really to replicate comic book visual style in the mise-en-scene rather and like mise-en-scene meaning everything just like the look of the frame rather than the editing (laughs) 
Well, and I, I think Lillian kind of hit on this in in some of the notes that we looked over before the film. You know, and Derek, you just hit it as well. You know, this is everything we've been talking about with this look and this stylistic choice. It's an editing problem, but it's not the editing problem. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there are a <laughs> lot of just plain editing <laughs> yeah. problems the, in this film. Yes. Uh, this guy is Ang Lee's editor, too. Like, I think he's worked on everything other than Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe it's just because my mind is so all over the place anyway, but I never really felt like the 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 comic panel styling was preventing me from no, knowing what was going on. My Just wherever there was motion, my eye was traveling to it immediately. The thing that bothered me is that when there were panels within the screen, uh, you know, you'd have a, a small version of the shot from another angle uh, on that same scene uh, on the larger screen, I expected there to be different inf- information presented, and there usually wasn't. What I yes. wanted to see was, like, I mean, it would be useful if, say, a character is promising to do something, and then in the large, in the smaller panel, you see that behind their back, their fingers are crossed, or something like that. You, you would have some alternate information so that you could see it from another character's perspective at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or if you were seeing multiple things that were happening at the same time, but in different areas, like during an action sequence, you could have someone, you know, going to line up a shot at the Hulk while the Hulk is still doing stuff, mm-hmm. and that would have been very. And that's not out of the. Uh, I was going to say, say that's not. Go ahead. <laughs> it would be very useful if you were using it to cut the Im- total amount of time needed for the film, because you're showing what would normally be sequential scenes at the mm. same time. But they didn't do that because instead you saw everything repeatedly. And that's not out of the question for this film as well, because a lot of this film is built on, you know, rightly or wrongly, for whatever motivation information that characters won't share with other characters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and consequently won't share with the audience. And you, you can build tension in a film if the information that characters don't share with each other is shared with the audience. And then we have to, in our minds, project what the consequences That's that called are. suspense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, on the editing thing, there, there was... Of the gajillion shots in the film that bothers me, one in particular goes back to what we had we had hit on this earlier. One of the lunch scenes between Betty and her father. Oh Be- man, Betty, Betty played by Jennifer Connelly and and her father played by Sam Elliott. Who I hate to say this, I feel Sam Elliott was pretty grossly miscast. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> there were essentially a lot of people. They, essentially, their thought process was, we need a man with a mustache. Let's get <laughs> Sam Elliott. Yeah. Spoiler alert. This will be resolved in the Marvel Universe when he is perfectly cast in the first Ghost Rider film. <laughs> <laughs> we all look forward I to mean, that, dude. Sam, Sam Elliott, you know, he's he's a gruff, you know, man's man guy, but you don't think of him as the rigid, you know, by-the-books military man. You think of him as a Hellraiser. Yeah. Um, so he's miscast, and several other people are miscast. Although notably not Nick Nolte. No, Nick Nolte right. is perfectly cast. Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte is actually, honestly, despite the material he is working with, doing some quite good work at points. Yes, he is. Although, but uh, just as an aside, I would mention that after he he 
about five minutes into Nick Nolte's scenes in the film, my girlfriend said, I just realized that Nick Nolte and Gary Busey are not the same person. <laughs> that is entirely reasonable. I have, yeah, I definitely I get the too. two of them confused. They have very similar sort of star personas. Um, we, we, we can get to characters and casting in a minute, but the, the, the editing point about this scene that bothered me, there, there was a... It was the first time that they had lunch together. And Sam Elliott was in mid-sentence. And in mid-sentence, there was a cut to the other... He was like a Mm three-quarter angle on his face. Mid-sentence, a cut to another three-quarter angle of his face. From the opposite side. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of the camera one, camera two gag in Wayne's World. Got one eye open. Got the other eye open. Got one eye open. Yeah. Um, I'm watching that and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> There's another time that they do the exact same thing. It's one of the two shots I wanted to talk about. When uh, when uh, General Ross is interrogating uh, Bruce after the first Hulk out. And he's like, I know that you know this thing. And he's like, I don't know that know this thing. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. There's a part, like right at the very end, where he lunges in very angrily at, uh, at uh, Bruce and... He's coming in, and yeah, it's exactly the same kind of thing. Breaking the 30-degree rule. It's at one three-quarter angle, and then they cut to another shot of him still lunging in at just a slightly different angle. But Uh, Ang Lee is a director. Has he won two Best Director Oscars? He's won at least one. uh, Yeah, Storm and... I think it's two. Oh, didn't? Oh, okay. He won won for uh, Life of Pi. Oh, okay. And I think Broke he back? won. Did he win for Brokeback Mountain? I don't know. I think so, but I don't yeah, know. yeah, Brokeback Mountain yeah, he's and Life of Pi. Or he's two yeah, so, so yeah. He's, he's won two, and he's working with people that he's worked with before. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a bad director. This was a choice that he made yes. for this film. Why the hell is he making this choice? I, I'm going to guess that, like myself. About two thirds of the way through this project, he said, "Fuck it, I'm done." <laughs> Maybe the other. There's one other shot that I want to talk about because this is something that I literally like while watching it rewound and watched like five times just to figure out what the fuck was happening. So it's right at the end of the San Francisco rampage, uh, and Betty's running down uh, some a staircase to get to Bruce, uh, and she's running from the top. Right, top left to the top uh, to the bottom right uh, down the staircase going like this and she gets obscured by a bush and literally literally the instant she gets behind the bush she then pops out in front of the bush coming in from frame right in a way that there's no time for her to do this movement and it's just such a weird like like the first time I watched um, I was like saw it out of the corner of my eye I was like what the fuck was just happening on screen and I watched it again I was like well, that didn't make any fucking sense. And I watched yeah. it again, I was like, nope, still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> then I, like, paused it and, like, boom, boom, what the fuck is happening? I mean, I think I think to answer your question, Stefan, I, you know, I think it is a con- it was a conscious choice, and my sense is that, you know, in, in really, you know, going for the gusto and going for um, having your film follow the rules of comic book uh, aesthetics, of sequential art... Um, he j- he just felt he could play pretty fast and loose with the with the continuity. I mean, again, we have, we as viewers have been trained to think about film's construction of space in a particular way, where we stay on one side of the characters um, until a very conscious, like wider shot, gives us leeway to per- potentially move into another. 
angle. Um, whereas in in comic books, we don't we don't have that, right? I mean, from panel to panel um, and across the whole page, we might see an event from you know a million different perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. And our ability to actually, you know, the fact that we have time and the the fact that we are comparing panels not only to the previous panel and the subsequent panel, but to other panels on the page, allows our brain to construct. Um, a kind of recreation of whatever narrative event is going on. Um, so I, I think that's that's basically what he's going for. He feel you know the idea is he can pay he can jump the line and he can violate the thirty degree rule and the hundred eighty degree rule um, because comics do. I mean that that would be my my initial guess. And it actually gets to like a larger question. I don't know if we want to forestall this until later in the conversation, but. I think you can actually see the dividends of this film in the recent um, Ant-Man-Edgar Wright controversy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, and basically, you know, Marvel is now at a point where they're, they're kind of realizing that we don't want some stylist to to take over <laughs> one of our franchise films. They've got a house style. They, they have, the, well, you know, and it's a house it's a house style in a certain sense, but it's also one that privileges um, storytelling above visual style, right? It's a it's a house style of narrative, not a house style of um, any kind of you know. I mean, they're they're certainly visual style to Marvel films, but they're not meant to be noticed. <laughs> it's not meant to be noticed. Um, yeah, I, and, well, Joss Whedon yeah. isn't known for his visual style. Is yeah. the big thing like he's resting yeah. on you know nineteen nineties television techniques sometimes. Right. Yeah, and yeah. but but the, the 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 stories that are being told now, and, and I think that this is jumping the line a little bit. But mm-hmm. We can talk about it a, a bit. The stories that are being told now by Marvel are not driven by direction. They they are driven by character. They are yeah. driven by writing. They are driven by Excellent. performance. But they, they you don't go. I mean, you go to a Marvel blockbuster to some extent for the visual component, but mm-hmm. you go for the character mm-hmm. really. And um, even as we get, I mean. The, this is pre-Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios' first film was Iron Man. But when we get to uh, The Incredible Hulk, the 2008 film with Edward Norton, uh, we'll see this same character get a radically different treatment within those confines. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think all of this is good. I think all- this, this is good discussion, and it's, it's good... Uh, Good to kind of understand and dive into what Ang Lee was trying to accomplish visually. But I think that it, it may be time to think a little bit about not just what was the way that the film was shown and presented to us, but the people and the characters that actually inhabited mm-hmm. it. Like who who these who these characters were and why the hell we cast these actors as them. Dude, you, <laughs> you have one last point you'll Well, no, it, it flows perfectly because we were just talking about the the lunch scene between Jennifer Connelly and Sam Elliott, and one of the things that uh, that scene drove me nuts, particularly because she she just walks away from the conversation that she's been <gasps> doesn't even pay for lunch. Yes, <laughs> that she's been trying to have. Uh, and listen, her dad's a general; he can afford it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Uncle it, Sam's got this one. It struck yeah. me as really well. He tipped her on the ice cream earlier too. <laughs> Yeah, true. Oh, that's true. He doesn't just leave. <laughs> Take that. Pass. They have an understanding that she pays for lunch. Okay. Yeah. She's been. I, doing say, I don't think I've kids. ever paid for a lunch for my dad. It might just be a father-daughter thing. Uh, oh, there you go. But 
the uh, she leaves uh, ostensibly because she gets very angry, even though it, it wasn't sold to me in the scene. But then afterwards, she references that it was her tip, like she said, my temper got the best of me again, or something like that. And they've already established that Bruce Banner does not have a temper, that he buries... Krenzler! Yeah. Krenzler does not have a temper. <laughs> he buries his emotions all the time, and so she never has any idea what's going on with him. And so they're trying to make her into a, the character with a temper, I guess, but I never really bought that. And much like a lot of other uh, aspects of character... I guess, characterization in the film, it... Mm-hmm. Uh, it never really felt like any of these characters had any emotion except for Nick Nolte, uh, that it was just a bunch of people talking about things. Well, th- th- there, there are five characters in this film. Mm-hmm. There's Bruce, there's Betty, there's David, there's Thunderbolt Ross, and there's Talbot. Uh, Those John- are the only five characters in the film. What about Daniel Everyone- Day Kim? <laughs> <laughs> I love Daniel Day Kim as much as the next person. Um, but you, you've got those five characters. Two of them are father-child pairings, mm-hmm. um, which you know is right right on the goddamn surface. Daddy issues the movie. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe if if we kind of break into these characters and try to understand them a little bit better, we might get again a little more insight into what Ang Lee was actually trying to do. And the the starting point, Lillian, I want you to to talk about this a little bit. The character I want to start with is Glenn Talbot, is Josh <laughs> Lucas's character, because I want to know why he's in the film. <laughs> well, I, th- I think the interesting thing is um, Patrick is here with us in spirit today because we watched it together. It was me and my roommate mm-hmm. and him, and my roommate's father is a helicopter pilot, and her uncle is a four-star general. Oh, wow. Um, so she had... <laughs> A very interesting read on on the whole Betty and Thunderbolt thing, but she could not figure out. She was like, wait, what is the deal? Like, the problem with Thunderbolt is that he's mad that Bruce put his penis in Betty. And it seems like when Talbot walks in, part of it seems to be, yes, I'm going to get your research, but I'm also here for Betty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And it... <sighs> I mean, this shows up in other, in in a couple, at least one Iron Man movie, too. This idea that, like, I'm getting your company and your research and your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I got um, the impression that they were trying to imply that, that the two of them had had something back in college. That's what I thought. Okay. That it was a pre-existing relationship. Yeah, because he mentions yeah. at well, some so, point, like, Something oh, was going on in that there was a battle for Betty. Um, oh, yeah, no, there, mm-hmm. that was definitely in the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but what's, so, so what's the point of him though because i'm like it we, we've got glenn talbot so glenn was ex-military under ross he's now on a military contractor atheon god wonder what that could well, be i think um, <laughs> i think he's there because they want the military to be the bad guy but they don't yeah. want the military to be the bad guy mm-hmm. this is like 2003 they, yeah. like just politically the military obviously has to be the good guys but they're mm-hmm. also the ones who's standing in the way of the hulk so he's the and as I've said, they they go so far out of their way to make sure that the Hulk never kills a single military man in this entire movie. Like to the point where when he gets to San Francisco, he like jumps onto a jet, a, a jet fighter and like rides it underneath the Golden Gate Bridge so it doesn't crash. 
Yeah. Um, well, could- but he also he's there, obviously, representing the military-industrial complex. So he's allowed to be sort of the evil military capitalist who can be sort of the secondary antagonist of the movie without it actually being the military being the villain. Well, yeah, Talbot is... We have, like, several mad scientists, right? We have David Banner, um, who is seems to be doing it for his own weird sort of Frankenstein uh, power it's reasons. and then mad scientist. Yes. Yeah. And then we have Talbot, who, like, he does want him for samples. Like, he, he, wants, to, he wants to develop him because he thinks of the Hulk as a product. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the confusing things is it's not clear exactly what the implications are of Betty and Bruce's research. Like, it's if- not clear what the fuck they're researching. <laughs> they're blasting oh, yeah, frogs is- of gamma radiation. What more do you need, people? They're exploding frogs. I mean, they're trying to regenerate What cells. is bionuclear... Engineer. Was there chemistry yeah. in there, too? It's bionuclear physics, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's nuclear... It's biology on a quantum level? Is that is that what I'm supposed to be working I with? I guess... We're not even given the techno babble explanation of like what why is this important? We don't we're not even given the luxury of a MacGuffin. I mean, no, we, it's all frogs. it's all like in the opening credits. To... Regeneration is immortality. Yeah. They're, they're just I mean... trying to do it's essentially as as Thunderbolt Ross very uh, pointedly points out, he is in the exact same field as his father. They're mm-hmm. both trying to make gamma radiation have like regenerative powers so mm-hmm. that uh, obviously, David Banner sees it as having military aspects, and D- Talbot obviously similarly uh, sees the military aspects mm-hmm. of that. That doesn't seem to be what Bruce is for, but he's very clearly there just sort of like, we're going to blast shit with gamma radiation until it's good. Well, yeah. it, it seems symbolically <laughs> important that Bruce is just trying to heal people, but these other two characters were trying to create super soldiers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that there's... Uh, again, we, we talk about character, we talk about casting... First of all, what the hell happened to Josh Lucas? Like, I remember a period of time in the first half of the 2000s where he was in everything. Like, studios really wanted him to be some kind of star, and he just never took. I I had to look up his name three times while watching this movie. He was in in A Beautiful Mind. That's how little uh, an impact he has on me. I could not remember his name three different times over the course of watching this movie. I'm like, who is that actor? So he and Jennifer Connelly were both in A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. Both um, dealing with a crazy scientist which who's is out of interesting. Control. Yeah. Oh my so, god, a beautiful um, mind is a remake. Um, so, Except it came out before this. But the the, the that's reason... how clever a remake it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pre-make. The pre-make, yeah. The reason that they uh, <laughs> that they cast Josh Lucas, I I, I fully believe. Like, okay, so. I, I agree with the the assessment that Nick and Lillian had that, like, Glenn is in it so that someone involved in the military can be a secondary antagonist. Like, he, he's there because we need a secondary antagonist. David Banner is not always present. And we are not supposed to hate Thunderbolt World. But no. he's so we need someone supposed to be hateful. I mean, well, no, I'm Team Thunderbolt on this one. I think it's oh, yeah. entirely rational in as, this situation. Yeah, irrational. don't let your daughter date guys who yeah. are famous for being rage monsters. <laughs> I mean, That's just basic parenting. It's, it's the, com- completely counter to everything that happens in everyone's experience. because Which is why the Hulk is, needs to be angry. <laughs> 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 I mean, as far like, as I don't want you dating that big guy. 
As far as far as I'm concerned, the only time that Thunderbolt is really, really irrational is that part where he's interrogating Bruce and he refuses to tell him the trauma that he believes yeah. has inspired everything that's happening here. That that but whole scene was I'm like, what are you doing here? But it's, other it's, times I'm need... like, okay, this, this, the Hulk is clearly a threat. But we need he... Talbot then. I'm sorry, dude. I just I don't think that he ever is clearly a threat because they make such a point of him never hurting anyone, and he it's goes all the way to Jennifer Connelly's house to save her. And then never hurts her, <laughs> and they could. It's, he continues. But to he murdered all those dogs. He will hurt her. He murdered all those dogs. <laughs> the dogs that I were trying to hurt her. Dog. No, murder. but she does have that dream where, or maybe it, does the Hulk choke her? Somebody no, chokes Bruce, Jennifer. Connelly. Bruce chokes yes. her in her, in her yeah. dream. Hulk does no, not. but there's another choking. There's like a real life choking. I swear. Yeah, yeah and, just and for a Bruce, second. And after then he, he comes is to his shrunk senses. down from the Hulk, he chokes her for like half a second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, the, the, see, if I if I were Thunderbolt there, if I found that out, I'd be like, nope, nope, done. The reason that Glenn is in the film, I think, is that it's that he, you know, he's supposed to be the guy that you hate, so you don't have to hate Ross. He, he's the secondary antagonist, but like nothing that he really does in the film, in principle, until the third act, is really that. Like his offer is, he goes to Bruce and Betty and says. Hey, we want to give you a lot of money to do the thing that you're already doing for the purpose that you're already doing it for with significantly better facilities than you already have. And the response is, no, fuck you. The only reason that we hate Talbot before this third act, before he goes all mad scientist, is that Josh Lucas is an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, he, he also is the only person who seems to not have a healthy fear of the Hulk, which I think might be his other narrative thing, is he's the he's the one who tasers him, right? He's the one yeah. who's like, we can handle this. That we have foam. That was not We've smart. got foam. <laughs> we got CGI foam. Um, I, I think the other interesting thing, though, and it's just weird because um, I had a friend in college who was super into the Hulk, and he was really into Hulk science, and... <laughs> Like, there's Hulk science, right? There's, like, the idea of why and how he gets mad from, like, a physical standpoint and, like, gamma ra- and like what gamma rays are mm-hmm. and, why, like, why they would allow your muscles to grow bigger than your actual frame. Um, but the thing is that acad- academic, like, academia-wise, in a lot of scientific research, your institution owns every innovation that you have. Mm-hmm. Like, you – they hold your patent. Yep. yep. Um, and Talbot so, explicitly says when he's trying to make this offer, your name will be on the patents. Yeah, yeah, and that's the that weird thing is that I was trying to see. I was like, did one of these three writers that got separate and cards because they did separate iterations of the script? Were they trying to sort of play with this idea that Bruce is going to lose control of his work? Like Bruce, Bruce and Betty are going to lose control of the work, and losing control of the work could result in a serious loss of life. Mm-hmm. Well. But that's not what happened, so I don't know why I'm saying it. I got the impression <laughs> I'm trying that to fan apologetic now. They simply couldn't figure out who the villain was going to be. I mean, I, I don't know any Hulk comics, so I don't know who the Hulk's villain typically is other than himself. Uh, it's the army. It's Thunderbolt, right? Or, I mean, for or me. it is some other giant right. gamma monster. That's, that's the yeah. problem. Abomination yeah. obviously gets used later. But, the Abomination. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it's a problem of narrative stakes. If the Hulk... When he transforms into the Hulk, 
is not going to be dangerous and is not going to kill people beyond his, you know, control, beyond the, mm-hmm. uh, the control mm-hmm. of his rational mind, you need to have a villain who is going to kill people, right? I mean, yes. who, where, <laughs> and, you know, like, part of the thread is, like, you know, containing the Hulk and, yeah, eventually using his mm-hmm. blood yeah. for super soldiers. But David like, Benner doesn't even kill anybody. Yeah, yeah. Except, he except tries the mom, to kill by Betty. accident. And he by was, accident, yeah. and he does beam that like one security guard with like a giant thing of metal. So maybe he killed that one dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, but th- this this goes to a larger point, though. I mean, we, we lack a clear antagonist in this movie. It's supposed to be David Banner ostensibly, although at times, and I don't know if this is because of the script or because Nick Nolte knocks it out of the park. David Banner is far and away the most sympathetic character in this movie. Um, maybe it's because he's the only character in the movie who actually wants something. But that 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 gets to the bigger issue. Like Bruce Banner, Bruce Krenzler, Krenzler. and the it's, Hulk are ostensibly supposed too, right? to. Yeah, no, it's it's Bruce. Yeah, no, he's always Bruce. They're ostensibly okay. supposed to be our protagonist. What the fuck do they want? What what is the goal that Bruce Krenzler or the Hulk has in this movie? What are they trying to get? Betty? Well, Jennifer Jennifer Connelly has been quoted as saying the reason she wanted to do the movie was that Ang Lee sort of sold it to her as a Greek tragedy. Mm-hmm. It, and I think the difference in structure between Greek stra- tragedy and sort of the modern the modern usual narrative structure is that a lot of stuff just kind of happens to Greek tragic heroes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the world just sort of shits all over them <laughs> for, you know, three hours oh, in beautiful verse. And I think that's the thing is that scene between um, Nick Nolte and Eric Bana with, where they're about to get shot by lasers if, the they, mis- if they misbehave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that dialogue they have, um, I don't know how recently you guys have read Euripides or anything, um, but Greek plays are just talking. They're just Mm -hmm. a lot of arguments. Mm -hmm. And all the cool stuff happens offstage. Medea kills the kids offstage. Medea, like, shows up in her chariot, and that's the Mm -hmm. coolest thing that happens. And so... You could sort of see that moment of like, this is the big culmination of dramatic tragedies that Bruce can't... Bruce doesn't know this man, and yet he's still become this man. He's terrified of becoming this man. Mm-hmm. And Betty's afraid he's going to become this man as well. Right. But we're... So that moment of, like, I will take, like, I will save you, son, by destroying you, <laughs> is very Greek, but also removes all agency from him because that's sort of how tragedy works, is that your tragic flaw dooms you from the start. Derek? Yeah, no, I mean... I, Does that I was make get- any sense? It makes, it makes perfect sense, and, like... You can you can kind of see like this. The thing about this movie is that it must have looked great on paper. Maybe not great, but I mean, it must have looked like a really <laughs> good idea in you know on on paper. Just like the match of this script and and Ang Lee, um, be, because yeah, I mean that kind of approach, that sort of um, very uh, kind of character emotionally centered. Um, approach to tragedy is something that I think Ang Lee does, does really well. It's in his wheelhouse. Yeah, it's yeah. in his wheelhouse. Um, and, and the problem is, um, you know, L- Lillian, you said that, like, part of, part of the idea of the tragedy anyway is that Bruce is terrified of turning into the Hulk. 
we are given no reason to be terrified that Bruce will turn into the Hulk. Uh-huh. He even yes. says he likes it. <laughs> yeah. That's like, why we came to this movie to watch Hulk smash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Hulk the Hulk is from an audience perspective, the Hulk is not a bad thing. <laughs> I but, think yeah. that's the danger yeah. though, is that I remember super dumb hipster 14-year-old Lillian seeing this in a theater and knowing that nobody else liked it and building this argument about how brave it was to sort of confront the legacy of the Hulk as this paragon of heroic violence, mm-hmm. right? Like, because that's, that's the thing that even happens in the TV show is that, like, Bruce Ban- uh, David Banner is like, please don't make me angry. You won't like me when I do that. But that's the only way to solve his problem. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason we watch the show. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, and I think that's the weird inherent narrative flaw to a Hulk story is that you have a protagonist who has, I think somebody said this in the notes, like who has to lose control of the mm-hmm. narrative in order for the narrative to be satisfying and be what the audience expects it to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, which is why you need a strong antagonist to guide, mm-hmm. like to guide the goal structure of the narrative. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the thing is like, it, it, it's not that your protagonist nece- necessarily needs to have goals, one of the things that makes The Empire Strikes Back so great is that our protagonists don't really have terribly strong goals. You know, it's just They're to survive running. and get away. They run the fuck Darth away. That is, their, that is their strategy. Goal. And, like, he's pressing the issue. that's what we needed in this film. We needed a Darth Vader, right? I mean, we need, you know, to yeah. make that Greek tragedy aspect really work, like, we needed that, you know, you know nigh uncontrollable force of fate. Um... To, to you know guide our protagonist in some in some kind of way despite this you know this this tragic flaw that he has in which he turns into a, a green rage monster um, and, but uh, in, uh, the, in the absence I mean, of that then your film gets described as brooding and directionless yeah. and all this stuff so. and ostensibly that could have been one of two characters that that could have been Nick Nolte mm-hmm who doesn't, I mean, again, for all he does and for as important as he is to the thematic undercurrent of the film, he doesn't play enough of a direct narrative role in the film to fill that. Or it could be Sam Elliott. Mm-hmm. But we are given way too many reasons to like Sam Elliott. Like, he, he is portrayed as an entirely rational man in rational circumstances, <laughs> doing things that may or may not be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I, I never got the sense that he was being rational. It always seemed like he was overreacting to me and never reading any situation as it actually was. But uh, Explain. I mean, it. I, I think I said it all earlier that, you know, every, every situation that he comes into, he just makes worse. Uh, he He's never able to explain himself properly. He never tries to well, explain himself. I didn't say himself. he was particularly good at it. <laughs> uh, but... I, I don't know. I mean, I took fewer notes on this film than than any other film that we've done so far. Uh, and uh, most of them were just, like, events that were happening. And I I just wanted this to be over, like, I, I, I almost got to, from the beginning. I got to a point in the movie, and I hit the little button on my, my Apple TV remote to see how much time was left. <laughs> yeah. And I was an hour into the movie. I had an hour and 20 minutes left. And I actually said aloud, God damn it! (laughs) Well, I think that's the thing, is that San Francisco moment feels 
like it should be more final somehow. Should be a like it, that should it, be the yes. yeah. I, I, It I feels not... like it should mean something because Betty's like, no, shut up, Dad. I somehow magically escaped this helicopter and came to talk to Bruce. So yeah. shut up, Dad. I had not seen this movie since it came out in theaters. And that is literally where I thought the movie ended. I was surprised that there was more movie after that. I'm like, doesn't it end in San Francisco? That's the end of the movie. I was also really confused, like, when they were out in Nevada. I'm like, how the fuck are we getting to San Francisco? And then he just, like, starts leaping across the Southwest. Well, and then after San Francisco, you've got the black box theater scene with he and Nick Nolte. And then they have their big monster fight. Why is that monster fight not happening in San Francisco? Why does not the biggest internal conflict in the movie happen at the same time as the biggest external conflict in the movie in an area where there are stakes? I, I think that the, the practical solution is just the the interaction of the Hulk with his environment did not seem sophisticated enough yet. No. <laughs> Mm. That they could that that they could have him crash into buildings and do like yes. it, it was very clearly like stuff that they could digitally manip like manipulate and render because he's running around the environments that they could control I should say yeah. mm-hmm. um, where where is their their lab like the Berkeley. place where Berkeley okay which which is yeah um, yeah that's what I thought I thought that he was going home when he went back to San Francisco so that yeah that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Well, because the implication is that he's looking for Betty, right? Yeah. Is that, like, they're both looking for each other, and then they find each other, and it's supposed to be moving and beautiful. And instead, uh, you're like, how did she magically get down from that helicopter? Yeah. <laughs> One thing that we haven't talked about is... <laughs> it's okay, because the film doesn't really do him any favors either. We haven't talked about Eric Bana at all. All right. I love Eric Bana. I love him. You don't understand my, how much I, I am, love him. I am remarkably ambivalent towards Eric Bana. As yeah, my, 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 re, my read on this, and, and maybe you guys have a different read, is you know, Bana was, at that point, he was an up-and-coming actor. He's a good actor. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's good at what he does. But he is woefully miscast as an everyman. Well, I feel like he didn't really... I just get this feeling sometimes, like, you can see this, like, searching look in the actor's eyes of, like, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Mm. And I just got that from him a lot. <laughs> and I just sort of wanted to hold him and be like, no, baby, go back to Munich. Go go back go back to Troy. Mm. You'll feel, like, you'll feel more yeah. in control. You'll have text work to work with that makes sense. Yeah. Just be free. And they, they run, run, Hulkman, run. I mean, there there is like a nod to try and make him, you know, a kind of nerdy scientist with like that helmet gag, the bike helmet. That helmet was gorgeous. <laughs> oh yeah. yes, I did like that. <laughs> um, and just give him a pair of glasses. Yeah, Christ. like, yeah. I mean, pull a Rick Perry. Like, that's all you need to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Intellectual, <laughs> intellectual. <laughs> um, but it's. This was the first film we've watched since The Punisher. Well, that's not true. Since Spider-Man, anyway. But maybe going back to The Punisher, where I felt like not only was the lead miscast, but there was a gaping void in the center of the film because of that miscasting. Mm-hmm. That that bothered me. Mm. Um, I think it's a really hard role to cast, though. Is the because because I could totally see like Eric Bana 
Troy Hector version working very well here. But because the movie is so schizophrenic in terms of what what and who Bruce is, there was really no there was nothing for him to hold on to in terms of like these are Bruce's traits. Mm-hmm. We Bruce's know his traits are I'm terrified. Yeah, we Those know are Bruce's traits. I don't even know who Bruce is. I mean, there's so many yeah. there's so many aspects of like things that could be character development. Like, one thing I was thinking of, the the line after he gets the gamma radiation, he says that his bad knee is now his good knee. Even yeah. that could have been something that you could have developed. He could have yeah. been, you know, a weakling. He could have yeah. been, you know, somebody who had had an accident growing up, and he, uh, like, walked with a cane or something. Uh, well, they, tr- they tried to show a little bit of his, like, his growing up in those scenes with his, uh, I guess, his foster mother or his adoptive mother. There's one scene of that. Yeah, and she, she, I don't know why they a, cast her. Why did they cast that? Role? Yeah, that's that scene lasts for forty five seconds. Yeah. That actress is in it for forty five seconds. It is ostensibly supposed to be an important relationship in his life, and it means nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, it expresses that uh, he he was taken away from his family, so you knew you knew that something had happened to his mother, and that he wasn't with his father. Uh, yeah. Although, I, mean, I guess it wasn't really the, clear Jennifer that Connelly that wasn't his mother. says that to him at some point. Uh, I mean, the opening... S- several people say that to <laughs> him. Yeah, she's yeah. like, she's like, you mean your real parents? And he's like, I don't want to know about my real parents. Yeah, I didn't people understand talk- that. Like, that. People are bringing it, that up all the time. It seemed insane. Uh, I think it also doesn't yeah. help the characterization that the film is largely humorless. Um, one, I think <laughs> yes. one of the things that makes someone like Mark Ruffalo work for Bruce mm-hmm. um, is that... You know, he kind of kind of recognizes the um, you know the the ridiculousness of the situation, like the fact that he turns into a green rage monster. Um, yeah. And there's there's no kind of like nod toward that. There's never a sense that like I mean maybe maybe like at the very end, um, mm-hmm. you know, you sort of yeah. See that this. ending scene is kind of cute. Yeah, I, I kind of love that yeah. ending scene. Um, but the, the 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 point that you're saying though, Derek, is 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 dead on though. I mean, the the inherent problem with the Hulk as a character and with Bruce Banner as a character is like, anytime Bruce Banner is on screen, we as an audience want him to be the Hulk. Like, mm-hmm. we never want to see Bruce Banner. We just want him to be the Hulk. So yeah. in order to fill that role, you have to be an actor who makes us want to see Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner has to be interesting for reasons that mm-hmm. aren't just... Oh, he's the whole. And to a certain and to a certain extent, even as Bruce Banner, you know, you know, it's like the old like Superman Clark Kent thing where you know, like Jerry Seinfeld has a routine about how Superman is Superman. Um, like in a certain sense, like Bruce Banner also needs to play Bruce Banner, right? I mean, there needs yeah. to be a role there. There needs to be a kind of like mask. And even if it's something as simple as like glasses or, you know, that he's a nerd, like there need we need to be able to characterize him relatively quickly and relatively simply and in order for the contrast between him and hulk to sort of work um in other words they need to be kind of dipolar whereas here it's like hulk green rage monster and uh bruce amorphous tortured you know it's just we we don't know who he is yeah mm-hmm. well i mean yeah i think the first 10, 15 minutes or so, or it's pretty much just about characterizing David Banner, mm-hmm. where at, where you have Bruce being this little toddler the entire time, and then you have, what, three scenes or so before the gamma radiation turns him into the Hulk? Pretty much, I you get... If that I many... Think, 
Yeah. I think we've hit the point in the conversation where it is safe to now devote all of our conversational faculties to talking about Nick Nolte. <laughs> yes! Finally! Nick Nolte! <laughs> Fuck everything else! Nick Nolte! The best part of this movie! Why is Nick Nolte the best part of this movie, Nick? Uh, because he's the only one trying? <laughs> because I... <laughs> well, I mean, I think you... I think you... Sound mixing issues. I think though. you've uh, like I half the time I couldn't understand him. He was very mumbling. Uh. That's true. No, he's definitely very mumbling. But I mean, I think you, I think you brought it up earlier that he's really the only one that has a goal in this movie. He wants mm. something, uh, and that's certainly compelling. And I mean, certainly the movie sort of starts out giving us most about him. He is far and away the best developed character in this. Uh, mm. And just a fun fact, uh, the very famous picture of uh, Nick Nolte's mugshot where he gets pulled over, that's entirely because of this movie. I was going to say, that looks the best that... thing that this movie gave the world, yeah. was that mugshot. Exactly. He looks that insane because he had grown his hair out and was that disheveled for this role. It's not like Nick Nolte, not that Nick Nolte necessarily has his shit together normally, but he's not, not to that extent. Anyway, um... And as I've said, I think I think there's a lot of times where Nick Nolte, uh, probably with the exception of like that very last scene where there's that sort of stupid elemental fight between him as a big electricity monster versus the Hulk, I feel like to, even despite the material he's working with, he delivers a lot of these lines really well. Like during that black box theater, as we keep calling it, a lot of what he's saying is really, really silly and melodramatic, but he delivers those lines really well. Mm-hmm. There, there. Uh, side note, tangent. There were a lot of really poorly written lines. Oh yes. In this film. <laughs> oh, um, I'm not. I'm not defending the script here. Yeah, I am but, defending Nick Nolte's performance of the script. But to to, to give an acknowledgement to acknowledgement to the what I thought were the worst and the best lines in the film. The worst line in the film I thought was uh, when Nick Nolte had said to uh, Eric Bana that he was going to draw out what Bruce had within him. And Bruce said verbatim, no, you will not. I will isolate it and kill it myself. <laughs> Which is a terrible line. And then the, the best line in the film was uh, when he has de-hulked at the end of the film in San Francisco and Jennifer Connelly's there. And he's, at this point, ostensibly gone through his emotional journey of uncovering his internal trauma and all that. And he says, you found me. And she says, you weren't hard to find. And then he says, yes, I was. Mm-hmm. That was a beautiful yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but back to Nick Nolte. Nick uh, so he's, he, he's got the hair. He, he has clear motivations, which I think is important. He delivers his lines with real conviction. Like, you, you feel the gravity and the weight of every, you know, year that this man spent in prison. Yeah. But, by the way, the guy they cast as young Nick Nolte was dead spot on. Oh, yeah, that guy, that guy is, that was fantastic casting for that. Yeah, I mean, he's doing a lot of, like, mad scientist uh, speechifying, but he does it very well. And there are at least two occasions on the film where he shoves giant industrial cables down his own throat. <laughs> yes. And he also has a he has a like a handheld gamma radiation sprayer that he uses to uh first to make the Hulk dogs and then on himself. Yeah. Which I which I just like that as a like a mad scientist equipment. The handheld gamma radiation. Can I say radiation. that I was kind of confused about what his 
when his goals shifted because I thought initially like it was just I need to murder my son right I need to murder my son yes why didn't he do that in the hospital room why like and then when he becomes absorbing man it's like I'm going to become immortal by like absorbing all the infinite energy from these gamma rays that Bruce gives off because that's the comic thing is that he's an infinite source of gamma radiation. Well, I think uh, I think he didn't didn't kill him there because he had found uh, Bruce had ostensibly possibly found a cure for the problem that they both had. That and so he was trying to recreate that so that because I think I think not only was he going to kill Bruce as a child, he was probably also then going to kill himself. I think this was a murder suicide that he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once. But also, he went fucking crazy because he was in jail for 30 years for being a domestic terrorist. Uh, again, I don't think we let these kind of people out. Um, and, and, also, and so also, he wanted to get he, he have... wanted to get to Bruce, and he wanted to you know figure out how to cure himself of these problems, and then he wanted to be an electricity monster. I think it's a pretty pretty sort of <laughs> obvious narrative. <laughs> it's a pretty obvious sort of classical narrative arc. First, you want to kill your son, then you want to steal his blood, then electricity monster. It all goes back That's to the Greek the, tragedy. Like, seven plots. That's one of the only seven plots in the entire world is electricity need to monster. become electricity monster. Exactly. Fifty percent of them end with electricity monster. Yeah. Also, can we? Just, I mean, show of hands, who has not dreamt of being an electricity monster? Can we just? No stop? one. No one's raising their hand because we've all dreamt of it. <laughs> Lillian, you, <laughs> Lillian, you brought this up in the notes, but I think it it bears just a moment to stop and ponder. That character's actual name is Absorbing Man. Absorbing Man. Absorbing Man. man. Thank you, Stanley, or whoever <laughs> he, invented yeah, this particular whole villain. He tells. He tells like. Uh, really interesting anecdotes and people find him interesting. He's an absorbing man. <laughs> absorbing man. I didn't give you that laugh. You didn't deserve it and you should be ashamed of yourself. I, I know I did. Yes. My yeah, comparison just... was to Mondo, the Generation X Explain. Explain who Mondo is. Mondo is, uh, is a mutant from Generation X, one of the various X-Men offshoots. He was a teenage... Well, technically he was a supervillain that was cloned, and the clone was a member of Generation X until the clone died, and then Generation X had to fight the real Mondo. And Mondo has uh, essentially the same kind of power, so he, any, he can like touch metal and wood and stone and like take on those traits, uh, and also he can travel really fast through dirt. And I had an action figure of him as a kid for some reason, so this is why I have any memory of this, like, C, C or D-list uh, superhero. That's why I know about Corsair. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Corsair was cool. I mean, I figure yeah, he's sure, got to be at least sure a C-list just because there was an action figure for him, and I remember having a Marvel card of him as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he... I feel like D-list wouldn't have that amount of uh, merchandise. Yeah. Yeah, di- well... Uh, even Dupe probably has action figures now. Um, let's see. We've gone over editing. We've gone over characters. We've gone over casting. Um, we have talked a lot about the script and some of the uh, the general problems with the script. Lillian, one thing you brought up was the idea of. Uh, you brought this up, and then Derek also had a note in the uh, the Google Doc about act structure. You talked about the idea that this was three different screenwriters who all got 
and credits, which implies three different scripts that were then fused together. And I'm wondering how, you know, where are the seams of those scripts? And especially in the context that, as Derek said, it's a very formulaic four-act structure for this film. So wh- wh- where, where are the seams? Well, I, I think the big thing is I sort of, in my head, divided it up by subplot. And the problem is that subplots don't get the services that they need throughout the film, so they just sort of disappear. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like there was this movie that was sort of about the cute little um, lab vibe between Betty and Bruce and Breaking Bad guy, who is apparently like a Marvel character, right? The guy that Hulk mm-hmm. saves. Oh, He's, really? Like, ends up working for S.H.I.E.L.D. or something. I think Patrick was trying to explain that to me. <laughs> Everyone works for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, <laughs> everybody works for <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. But, so there's, like, there's that component of, like, Bruce trying to be a good man and Bruce trying to protect their research and fight against Talbot. And then there's the weird David Banner plot line mm-hmm. <laughs> that technically should be the A plot, but sort of drops in and out of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a really dysfunctional way. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Thunderbolt, Betty, Bruce sort of triangle where he's like, this is my daughter, you can't touch her. And she's like, no, daddy, I'm a f- I have a PhD, I can make my own sexual choices even if they're dating an abusive man or a man I think may be abusive. So which of these stories did Ang Lee think he was telling? I think the father one mm-hmm. because because I think the whole... That's the most Greek one that I can think of, Uh (laughs) is the the story of being afraid of being the Hulk, Uh because the lab narrative, being the Hulk helps, right? Because you can can intimidate Talbot, you can destroy the lab, you can teach the military a lesson about trying to mess with geeky scientists. Uh Um, Uh But the I don't want to be the Hulk narrative (laughs) is the dad narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he associates the Hulk with his father, and we we even see, like, the first time we see the Hulk in his head is opening that closed door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, uh, I mean, I think think the daddy issues are definitely sort of the the most prevalent one. Certainly, that's an aspect of the the Ross uh, storyline as well. I mean, my notes for when the nuke gets dropped at their end is daddy issues in all caps. Mm. Because it's both, it's both, uh... David being uh, sort of defeated by his son and uh, Ross dropping a bomb despite uh, being asked not to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think the uh, the David Ross uh, me, the David Banner uh, story definitely does seem to drop out really weirdly. I mean, I feel like after the Hulk dogs, he shows up briefly to turn into Absorbing Man and then is there to get executed, but I don't think he appears any other time, or at least not substantially, like, during that hour of the film. I think uh-huh. I think you're right. I also think that this is the place to finally talk about the Hulk dogs. <laughs> oh, the Hulk dogs. Oh, yeah, we have kind of glossed over the Hulk dogs. Oh, God. <laughs> Dude, do you want to talk about the Hulk no, dogs? No, I don't want to talk Dude, about the I, I, I think Dude has some uh, thoughts on Hulk dogs. You, you don't... Like, this movie was so long and exhausting that I watched it a week ago and I still have not recovered. I I really look forward to these podcasts because I have a lot to say. Two-thirds of the way through this, even earlier than that, probably halfway through this film, I 
I stopped wanting to take notes. I stopped wanting to think yeah. about the movie, and I stopped being excited to talk about it because it was so exhausting and boring. And uh, there's no levity. No, it is no, a very, there was nothing. It is a boring nothing movie. to redeem it. <laughs> It's an incredibly boring uh, One thing movie. I did just realize, though, uh, when you guys kept repeating the name Talbot, I couldn't remember where I had heard the name Talbot before, but there was a distinct tone or voice that I was hearing it in, and I had to look it up to remember that it's the real name of the Wolfman. And I wonder if that was Lawrence a deliberate Talbot. reference. Uh, because well, Glenn, Glenn Talbot is a character in Marvel Comics, okay. and now he's a character on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, Adrian okay. Pasdar and a fake mustache play him. Oh, right. fuck! That's him! Is Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that those the Hulk reminds me of two characters, and it's the Wolfman and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, uh, both yeah. of which are explicitly called out by Stan Lee as, as influence. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The only way to kill the Hulk is with a silver knife, or a <laughs> silver bullet, or a stick! Or a stick! With a silver, with a silver handle! Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so Hulk Poodle, not an appropriate sub-boss for any film. <laughs> Hulk Poodle, no, no. What? Go away. Get off uh, of my porch, Hulk Poodle. No one wants even you especially here. when, you know, it wasn't even like a horribly monstrous poodle. It was just kind of angry. It was a French poodle with a nice, like, with a well-done haircut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other ones were far more monstrous. Like, the bulldog yeah. turns into, like, a fucking thing out of the mask with this just yeah. giant fucking yep. uh, lips. And don't forget about the Hulk mouse that appears for two seconds <laughs> oh, yeah. as a puppet. The Hulk yeah, the, the weirdest part about the dogs for me was that he, he, the janitor was able to get them into the hospital. That he's just in the <laughs> hospital with these three big weird dogs. Including, like, an expensive-looking French poodle. Yes. Like, his his haircut clearly cost himself. more than the haircut that Nick Nolte never had. <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick Nolte owns a lot of combs and brushes, <laughs> but they're all for his dogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He and when did he get dogs these dogs? How long has he had these dogs? Where did the machinery and all of his lab equipment come from for this house? He just got out of jail and was, like, yeah. placed into a Where halfway one... home lab, surrounded by barbed and wire. Yeah. And it's not like he had time to prepare for going into jail. No. <laughs> this is I, a very impromptu decision. Like, patented it for him so david had all these patent you know all this patent money left over ah that's it no, it's, it's mean, all about the does, patents keep the does, patents does everyone. talbot even know that david banner exists no no i don't think those plot lines at any point intersect no yeah nope. it's not clear. different scripts like i mean the second time he hulks out they kind of intersect just because he hulks out because of talbot and then goes stops the Hulk dogs, but those two things, Talbot and the Hulk dogs, have no relationship other than the fact that they bookend his second Hulk transformation. Did one of the Hulk dogs bite the Hulk in the dick? Yes. And then he <laughs> punched that dog where its balls would be. Yes. And then they explode. All those Hulk dogs explode into like green yes. mist when they die. Yes. Yep. By that log cabin that this geneticist lives in with, with no explanation. I mean, admittedly, it's it's Berkeley, so it could be nearby, and it's not that surprising. But you know. yeah, I just assumed she, like was, trying yeah, she was trying to escape. Like the... Yeah, she was trying to escape. she was trying to escape from this film into an Evil Dead film, <laughs> yes. which tells yeah. you something. <laughs> well, it's just weird though. Like the trope of establishing a villain, right, is kicking a dog. Mm. He loves these dogs. <laughs> he loves these dogs. <laughs> um, Does he? And I think that's. 
that's the weird thing is that like in a movie that's supposed to be about like the emotional complexity of the Hulk and the rage, you know, the rage as a destructive force, which is basically what like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is about how violence is not worth it. Like it's a sword fighting movie about how they shouldn't have been sword fighting. They should have been making out. <laughs> and there's no moral complexity in in you know putting those dogs down because they explode into like weird green gas. Like there's no moment of Betty being like, "Oh my God, they're just dogs, right?" Because in theory, when when the Hulk gets knocked out, he pops into naked Bruce, right? Like is that mm-hmm. canon? Uh, generally. Yeah, he's still got the purple shorts usually. It's, it's so, happened, like, why generally. did the dogs explode? They were unstable. <laughs> <laughs> because they were really evil and not sensitive. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, what, what, on, on that note, though, and, and this is may, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but the film certainly invites it as a thought. Like, one of the things the film drives home is that Bruce Banner became the Hulk largely because Bruce Banner was the only person who could have become the Hulk. Like, from birth. Yes. Because of what oh. Nick Nolte had done to him. He had this inherently within him. Which, which I don't... is not in the comics, right? Yeah, which okay. is not. No. Okay. So why? Like, wh- why, why is this important to his character, important to this film, important to that story that is being told between he and his father? Well, in in keeping with the domestic violence legacy narrative, um, I, th- I think in the comics, isn't Bruce's dad just kind of an asshole in general? Like, I believe he was abusive. He was abusive. So, I mean, technically, what Bruce's dad gives Bruce is not his Hulkdom, but the trigger for his Hulkdom, which is anger issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't not think of what they do in Amazing Spider-Man 2 because it's the same idea. It's like, let's now make it about the dad and the dad's super science. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that. Like, yeah, trying to make it so, I guess, I guess so that it's more like, you know, other superheroes like Batman or uh, Superman where there's sort of this hero- this either primal tragedy or like heroic destiny that informs their entire lives from when they were a kid up until now. Uh, well, it, it, is ch- it is pushing that inherited nature of the rage monster to another level and that's why i actually that 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 weird piece of dialogue that's horribly animated where david as the when he's a gamma radiation monster is like give it to me like give it give it all to me and bruce is like okay fine and he just gamma rays him <laughs> he's a pissy teenager <laughs> he's a pissy teenager God! <laughs> but yet, at the same time, I imagine sort of Ang Lee, you know, doing his text work and looking at that on the page, he's like, that. that is a damaged, violent man talking to his son and saying, if you're going to direct it somewhere, kid, direct it at me, because it's my fault. Which Just is, give it all to me. I mean, like, again, independent of the, the context and what we're seeing on screen... That's kind of a compassionate and sympathetic thing to say. Like, that, again, yeah. does not paint David Banner in the world's <laughs> right. worst light. But He's I don't think that's... Guy. But that's not how I read his motivations in the movie. He wants he the gamma power. radiation so that he become can become more powerful. Yes. Yeah, of course he does. But it's... That's the problem. We, we are being... 
the villain or the ostensible antagonist has an external goal that he is pursuing, that we are told he is pursuing, that he is telling us he is pursuing. He wants that power. And the protagonist has an internal goal that he is pursuing, which is to overcome this trauma. And ostensibly, those two goals should link up and be in opposition to each other. And they aren't. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I All agree. right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, like, it's like we're sitting exactly in the development seven. meeting in 2000, you know, 2001 going, I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> yeah, fine. You're, Fuck you're it. Fixed. Call I J.J. Mean, Abrams. I, I think Just call him. I mean, Get I think... Josh Lucas in. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, no, part, someone get me Josh Lucas. Part of the I, problem is like the the setup for that entire plot line, which is supposed to be central to the film, is done in five minutes over the opening credits. I mean, <laughs> we yeah. needed we needed to see more of that. <laughs> um, what, are you saying this film would be better if it were longer? <laughs> is that what you just said? Because I'm not okay with that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair, though. Like when we didn't get the context up front that we need. Let's discuss how much, like time-wise, of this movie should have been cut out. Because I would guess at least an hour. Uh, well, Tal- Talbot needed to well, be cut. Tal- yeah. Tal- Talbot as a character could be completely yeah. cut from the film, yes. and the film would be no Please. Worse. Okay, so so what what are like? Well, you would need to add incredibly. Ditch. You would have to add new triggers because two out of the three times he turns into, or two out of the four times he turns into yeah. a Hulk, it's because of Talbot. But but yes. Ross could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. there is a scene where Ross provokes him. Yes, it'd be pretty easy. Um, yeah. I mean, okay, you don't, so, so you like, don't well, need to what? come up with a reason for someone to. You don't need to introduce a new character to make someone angry. He could just be someone who gets mad in traffic. He is the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, when he gets mad, he turns into a monster. I know people that turn into monsters with no provocation. <laughs> what, like, maybe this, this is the way to ask that. Like, what in terms of tangible action happens in this film? Uh, Let's see. There's... Helicopter smash. There's when he takes yeah, the, the that lab gets destroyed. That he cares about and throws it out of the lab. Yeah. So but basically, you you could break it down like uh, Bruce Banner's father destroys a lab mm-hmm. and kills his mother. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bruce becomes a scientist and is dosed by gamma radiation. Mm-hmm. Bruce reunites with his father and turns into the Hulk for the first time. Mm-hmm. Bruce stops his father from using Hulk dogs to kill the woman he loves. Yes. Bruce is captured by the military to be subjected to testing. After being betrayed Bruce, by the woman he loves. Yep. Bruce escapes the military and cuts a rampage across the desert, landing in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Bruce's father gains power himself through his experiments. Mm-hmm. Bruce reunites with the woman he loves and is healed emotionally by that. Mm -hmm. Bruce confronts his father and resolves the trauma that he has inside of him. Yes. That's the film. Mm -hmm. You could do that in an hour and a half. Absolutely, you could do that. (laughs) Yes. That's what happens. The big problem for me is that there were these long transitional shots of him running and the, the fight sequences with the military seemed to go on for the at least twice as long as they needed to. Yeah. The helicopter. It was just every yeah, individual thing took too his, long. 
Yeah, like his fight with the tanks. Like, I remember, mm-hmm. I think it was Dude earlier was talking about how, like, during the action sequences, it would be really nice to have some of that split-screen stuff. Yeah. And the, when you said that, I immediately thought of when he's fighting, like, the three tanks out in the middle of the desert. And mm-hmm. it just seems like it's such a long, laborious process for him to, like, literally walk over to the tank and, yeah. like, rip it off and shake it out and throw it yeah. away and then walk over to the other tank and yeah. bend the tank gun into the tank in such a way that it's not actually threatening to the people inside, because there's no way that you can like, fire it into a U-shaped <laughs> cannon. Yeah. Not, just, not outside just... of Wiley Coyote physics. <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah. would. in that case, you would just not fire. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, there was, like, <laughs> this fire look anyway, on the... Fire anyway! <laughs> yeah. There was this look of, oh shit, yeah. there's a cannon pointed at me uh, yeah. on the look of that army man. I'm like, you're totally yeah. fine. Yes. But yeah, like, yeah, they take, those things take so long, and so many, it's like ten, ten minutes about of him leaping across yeah, uh, the desert. Yeah, that would have been yeah. the perfect opportunity to use those multi-shot sequences, because you could have mm-hmm. him jumping across four different set pieces, or four different backgrounds, oh, yeah. environments. Yeah, like he jumps and, once, and lands and split there. screen. Yeah. He jumps, he yeah. lands again, yeah. he's in another yes. environment. Jumps, exactly. he lands, he's in Redwood. appropriate like, use of doing. that to mimic the comedy. Yes. <laughs> he jumps, he's in Redwood. Oh, he's in California again. Yep. He jumps, he's fucking on the Golden Gate Bridge. You Fuck yeah. You have five panels of him jumping simultaneously, yep. all on the same screen, one jump through five different environments, and then be done. And it would take two yep. seconds. Mm-hmm. The... Almost as though Ang Lee did not really think through exactly how to do this. Nope. <laughs> so we, we've talked about a lot of uh, a lot of different stuff here. The only thing that I think, and you guys, if you have something else, you, you can certainly raise it. But the only thing that I think we haven't talked about that we really do need to hit on before we get to uh, get to our wrap up is uh, the special effects. In the film, those, those mm. special effects that that guy praised on the back of the DVD <laughs> cover, there—they're yeah, great. Everyone I, loves those. Back around 2004 or something, they were trying to explain why this movie did so poorly in theaters. And my understanding is that this there was an early cut of this leaked onto uh, um, Kazaa or LimeWire mm. or whatever it was at the time that the effects were not finished in, and. Mm. So a lot of people downloaded this movie before it came out and thought it was trash because the effects were not finished. They thought they were seeing a final cut and it uh, you know, really hurt the press around the film. Mm. And so I believed that until I watched this movie. Uh, <laughs> and I can understand why they would want to address the effects on the box. I mean, I thought they were fine. I didn't, I didn't have any particular problem with any of them. But... Uh, they're, I can understand how that would have been frustrating for the filmmakers to feel that, yeah. you know, their f- film had been stolen before it was finished. Definitely. I mean, there, there's still point. You know, I think overall the the Hulk himself as, you know, in terms of facial modeling, in terms of musculature, um, in terms of just kind of the texture of um, how he is rendered in the film, I, I thought that was pretty well done. Um yeah, it was better it's, than it's, I remembered. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. it's it's he did not look like a car commercial. Exactly, it's it's really in the motion where uh, the the seams of the effects start to show. I mean, you still really see a lot of that kind of early two thousands noodliness to some of the mm-hmm. animation. 
Um, it's like a 1930s cartoon. Yeah, yeah, like a rubber hose animation. Um, and, you know, just like part, part of what I think the effects kind of fail to communicate is a sense of heft or weight to the Hulk, mm-hmm. you know, partially because he is, you know, jumping a hundred miles at a time. Um, but also just, the, it, it seems like the animation isn't quite at a point or, you know, it wasn't calibrated to actually concentrate on Hulk's interaction with his surroundings. Um, yeah. rather, you know, it, it, it's concentrated a lot on the character itself and less on the backgrounds and the interactions and the kind of um, effects animation that would accompany Hulk's actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he doesn't. Even when he feels fine, he doesn't feel like he's a part of the world around him. Mm. Yeah. Um, Which Jim, I don't understand why that's really an issue when, like, when did Who Framed Roger Rabbit come out? Eighty-eight, eighty-nine, the like, because I rewatched that film recently, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" So brilliant. it is incredible. incredible how they make practical objects move around so Bob brilliant. Hoskins. Mm-hmm. Zemeckis is amazing. I love Zemeckis. Although, <laughs> to be fair, Roger Rabbit was not fighting the military or destroying laboratories. <laughs> it was done um, in a studio. He That's is it. in my fan fiction. He was outlining the entire. <laughs> if you don't send that to me by the end of the day, I'm going to be really mad. At God damn it! God damn it! Now I have to write a Roger Rabbit Hulk uh, crossover fan. That thing. is a Fuck. supplemental blog post to this to this <laughs> please, podcast. Please make it slash. Please, please make it erotic somehow. <laughs> well, who am I kidding? Of course well, you would. Obviously. Roger is always no. erotic. What are you talking about? Patty cake. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, Roger's already kind of slash fic. Yeah, yeah. That's true. What if a rabbit had a relationship with a buxom human woman? She's not bad. She's, She's just drawn woman. that no, way. No human woman looks like that. She's just drawn that way. Uh, God, that movie is really brilliant. This one is not. No, no. This also, I just, I'm, I, I need to make a demand right now that this podcast be shorter than the film we are talking about. <laughs> uh, we have uh, about twenty minutes to wrap up, then. So maybe, okay. uh, maybe we should move then to our to our final thoughts. <laughs> Dude, do you, do you have any more thoughts on this? Movie? Very bad film. Very bad dogs. Get off of my porch. <laughs> So you liked it, is what you're saying? <laughs> Absolutely, Derek. You're, I mean, your, your, your final thoughts. What what went wrong? here? Oh man, I really wanted to to like this film because I'd I'd heard that there there was like visual style up the up the wazoo. Um, so I was really disappointed when it could just kind of failed. Um, you know, both both in terms of like the scale of it and in terms of its utility in in other aspects of the film i mean the style it really just feels layered on it you know something that is less integral to the film and more here is a the way that i am telling the film there you know there's a real sense of mm-hmm. authorial presence which you know like in theory is not a bad thing but i mean for yeah. this particular film it doesn't it doesn't really work um 
Yeah, I mean, I, script problems, you know, and this this has been a common theme in you know a lot of the films that we've that we've talked about. But I think it's it's especially severe in in this film. I mean, it's it's up there with um, with some of the other films that we've talked about um, that have just narrative problems that clearly were not resolved. Um, mm-hmm. And this is less a problem, I feel like, of you know that it needed a rewrite, and and more that it you know is this kind of amalgam. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of my my take on it. I, again, I think it probably looked it looked good on paper and in theory. You know, if I think to be fair, if if Ang Lee was going to direct a, a Marvel film, it makes perfect sense for him to direct a film about the Hulk. Um, but it, you know, as we I think as we saw, it just didn't really pan out. <laughs> yeah. Lillian, final thoughts. What uh, what went wrong? My problems were really structural I, because I I wanted to see the Greek tragedy Hulk movie that Jennifer Connelly was sold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's the problem is that because, you know, the quote-unquote oh. fanboy audience wanted, wanted to see the Hulk, there was sort of a fear, I think, and sort of a schizophrenic nature to the script of like, we'll let you see the Hulk, but you're supposed to be scared of him, as opposed to just making the audience take their goddamn vitamins and subverting their expectations and, you know, creating an actual conversation about why we've decided this guy whose whole problem is a loss of control and hurting people and hurting property why did we make him a hero? Let's actually let's actually address that and let's actually have a cultural conversation, which is what Ang Lee has been doing with his really edgy movies forever. So I you, want you that don't movie. Think, you don't think the film went far enough? Well, I I think I think it's more embarrassing to fail at forty percent, and I think only forty percent of the movie was Nick Nolte father stuff, like. Take, you know, just make it about Thunderbolt Ross and Betty and um, David and Bruce. Give me that movie, and I think we'd be having a different conversation. It would at least be a less frustrating one. I think Dooge would not want to kill himself when he talks about that then. <laughs> I don't think Dooge wants to kill himself. I think he wants to kill Ang Lee. <laughs> no, okay. I just, well, I just no, That's to... destructive <laughs> violence again. <laughs> I like Ang Lee. I've, I've seen several of his films. Ice Storm is just perfect. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to imagine what a good version of a Hulk story would be, because I have pro- I liked The Incredible Hulk, uh, I had problems with that too, but, uh, I, and as you were saying, you want to see the Greek tragedy that she was sold, I was picturing, like, you know, an Oedipus-level Greek tragedy where he, he accidentally, like, he is turned into the Hulk as a child or something, and he actually is somehow responsible for the death of his mother uh, and possibly his father, and then maybe later his girlfriend or something. So he has a genuine, really deeply psychologically rooted fear of not only anger itself, but of his own anger, uh, that he can't let it out at all. And that would be a much more interesting film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm on board for it. Let's let's call Marvel Studios and get right guys, guys, the standalone. We got movie. it. <laughs> Bester, final thoughts. Uh, I have a co- I have a couple of different things I want to go over. Uh, first of all, um, I feel like while I was watching this movie, uh, 
for a lot of it, I was like, this is better than I remember it. Because I saw this in theaters and hated it. Uh, and it was pretty much up until sort of the end of the rampage in San Francisco, which, as we've talked about, is where I thought the movie ended. Like, if the movie had ended there, obviously you'd have to rejigger some of the things, but, like, he got away again and disappeared, and then you have sort of that last scene where uh, Betty and uh, Thunderbolt are on the uh, phone. Uh, I think I would have been relatively happy with the movie. I feel like... Uh, I feel like... It just goes entirely off the rails with that final fight with when he turns it, when David turns into the electricity monster. Uh, that's really my issue. Dude just losing his shit over this for some reason. <laughs> I just, when you said Thunderbolt, I, I just kept think, kept uh, picturing or hearing like Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, the uh, Clint Eastwood movie, and now I'm imagining Thunderbolt <laughs> and Lightning Man starring Sam Elliott and Nick Nolte. <laughs> Wait, Carmel, call Marvel Studios. That one's better. Yes. That one's better. Okay. Bolton Lightning Man. <laughs> All right. Uh, the other thing, I've been sort of brainstorming my Roger Rabbit uh, uh, fic here, so I just want to run some ideas by you. So what I'm thinking, I'm thinking that David Banner, in all of his scientific experiments, clearly is uh, experimenting a lot on animals. So what if Roger Rabbit is uh, one of the uh, scientific experiments? And then then there's sort of like a you're my brother kind of thing that they, the Hulk and Roger Rabbit have. They're so both sort of... Exactly, to make the Wincest. slash all the hotter. Wincest. Exactly. That's my thought on that. Uh, so that's what I was thinking. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to say is that, uh, obviously, uh, the Hulk has a lot of problems with getting angry, and he needs to find a way to calm down. Uh, and I would recommend blue e-cigs. Blue there e-cigarettes. That's how you should calm down. It's a great way to unwind. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting to see how you I was waiting for it. <laughs> this has been Nick Pester for Blue E6. <laughs> oh, you gotta work it in. Oh man, uh, I was I was worried Fantastic. I was gonna have to prompt you this. Nope, episode. nope. I like like twenty minutes ago. I was like, oh, I haven't brought that up. I know. Final thought. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I I think I I broadly agree with with most everything that's been said uh even though consensus is boring. <laughs> I I think that you know a couple things. One I I also haven't seen this film since I saw it in theaters uh which was 11 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't care for it then. Like I I did not seek it out after I saw it that first time. But I did remember it being a little better than this. Okay. I think that for me, what ended up watching it this time, the the thought that I had that kind of <coughs> ended up, uh, that I, to which I attributed a lot of the problems in the film. Um, I just think Ang Lee was the wrong guy to direct this. Um, you know, he... Like I said earlier, Angley was as hot as he was going to get at this point. He had come off of Crouching Tiger. He was given an enormous amount of leeway to make any kind of film that he wanted. He had a handle on who the character was, and he had a handle on parts of the character. But the parts of the character that he had a handle on and wanted to explore were not the parts of the character that translated well into a visual film. 
at least not one that had this kind of structure and these kind of expectations on it. What he wanted to do was tell a very internal story. But it's a story that it is inherently about externalizing the internal. And he did not... He didn't hit the right notes to do that in such a way as to make a... To turn what could have been a compelling thesis into a compelling film. Mm -hmm. Hey, dude, what's your holding there? (laughs) Dude is is vaping. (laughs) With a blue Uh, (laughs) e-cig. What I think... (laughs) Could have been more interesting. I think if Ang Lee was going to do this film, he needed to, as Lillian sort of hit the nail on the head with, really commit hard to doing it as an internal drama as opposed to ostensibly an action film. Or someone who was not Ang Lee needed to make this film. I I just don't think that what... What he brought to the table and the style that he has and the kind of film he wanted to make fit the material as an adaptation of the material at this point in time, in 2003, when we, you know, movie audiences had not seen the Hulk on screen before. We went in with a certain set of expectations. Mm -hmm. When comic book films in general, I mean, this was pre-Batman Begins. It was post-Spider-Man. Post-Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Post Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yes. Um, comic films had not taken on that level of sophistication yet that we associate with the better ones now, and it, it almost feels like he, he was he was trying to do something that hadn't been done before, that was partially in his wheelhouse, partially out of his wheelhouse, without a net, and he just missed, and that like. Script problems, story problems, editing problems, casting problems. All of those can be changed, but I don't think any of them get solved w- without another director. So th- this is the first of these films that I, I, for lack of a better word, lay the blame at the feet of the director. Hmm. That, that's, that said, that's See Life point. of Pi, it's a brilliant special effects movie and does all these things that he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it only took him another nine years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Got his shit together. Is the Hulk in Life of Pi? I haven't seen it. <laughs> yes. Richard Parker. Yeah, yes, his name is. is Richard Parker in it. He's actually Peter Parker's father. Ah. Um, and he's a tiger. Oh, so they did a twist. Yeah. yeah so twist. Inst- instead of the Hulk, he's a tiger. Yep. Well, he's a tiger who turns into the Hulk. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> he's a Hulk tiger. Exactly. <laughs> P.S. Aren't that like Hulk dogs are a thing in the comics, right? Like I think oh, I read that it's like there's a storyline called the Dogs of War that's the Hulk versus Hulk Oh my Hulk god, <laughs> that's incredible. Well, there's uh. also a time when Captain America gets attacked by a Volkswagen Beetle. There's also a time when every Marvel comic hero got turned into the Hulk. Seriously? Yep. At the same Is that time. World War Hulk? Yep. No. It was it was part of the tie-in to World War Hulk. Okay. It was like the fallout from it. It was called Hulked Out Heroes. <laughs> wow. Uh, Did they all look exactly the same? Like, was it they, just uh, indistinguishable massive hulks, or did they have, like, some design well, elements? They, they all had the remnants of their costumes on. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it's about as dumb as you would imagine it to be. Uh, 
just just to clarify from I think a moment I wrote ago, that fan fiction and it was beautiful. Uh, when I was saying that this was post Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I was trying to imply that that, that one really good comic book film had already been made uh, because I maintain that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from uh, what is it 1990, 1990 is uh, the best comic book film of all time. That's a great movie. Sam Rockwell in his greatest role. Yes. <laughs> Tubular. All right, so, Dude, it looks like we are going to heed your request and yes. come in under the running time of the movie. And we ended on a high note with uh, some really great ideas oh, no. there at the end. We're, we're yeah. going to end on a Roger gonna Rabbit. A low note. Roger <laughs> Rabbit. <laughs> we're going to end on a low note now. Oh, God. Uh, for, for our next film, oh, God. Uh, we oh. are going to examine our first remake. Uh, yes. Uh-oh. I like this movie. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to be really interested to hear your thoughts because okay. it's Tom Jane, it's John Travolta, oh. mm-hmm. it's another stab at the Punisher. Wait. So I am so relieved. I thought it was Fantastic Four. I thought yes. we had gotten to Fantastic Four. No. Uh, who who here has yeah. and has not seen The Punisher? Never seen Never it. Seen Never seen it. I have not. I'm the only one who's seen it? Okay. Apparently. All right. I saw it in theaters. I'm looking forward to Punisher. A Punisher yeah. I'm looking forward to. I was. Yes. I thought we had gotten to Fantastic Four, and I was like, 